Blog Talk Radio. The zombies have broken through. I repeat, zombies! Oh my god! Tommy's been bad! You're traveling to another radio show, a broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind, a journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination, imagination. that's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. get enough of that applause folks guess what this is the grindhouse and it's one of the rare occasions that i feel regretful for being a new yorker i wish i was in san diego right now but our time is coming in october new york comic-con uh that is forthcoming so we we will persevere but i'm hearing a lot of good things a lot of content coming out of san diego anyway folks uh, again this is the grindhouse courtesy of afternoon radio I see that our own Hellfire Club is in full attendance. We have the Uncanny Daryl B., yours truly, D. Burt, a.k.a. the Afronerd, our Left Coast Wonder Woman herself, Claire Linnae, and, of course, Captain Kirk. The caller number remains the same, always a constant, 646-915-9620, a constant and balmy 646-915-9620. Just a lot to discuss, folks. Let me get past our herb alt groove. You know, it's part of the machinery. We're trying to do all things for all people. And that's also another event that's coming up next month. 
Afropunk. And uh, the other iterations of Afropunk, I think we were incorrect last week. Uh, this, this is to the Uncanny. I believe it was actually uh, this month, back-to-back, maybe a week or two weeks difference between London's Afropunk Festival and the Parisian Afropunk Festival. So, anyway, Brooklyn's going to have their time coming up. Let's go to a quick groove, folks. This is Ruxana Maurice. Ruxana Maurice out of London. I got this from the, um, the Afropunk Festival lineup. I'm really digging this groove right now. This is Money, simply called Money. Ruxana. We'll be back in a few moments. Let's groove.
right, folks. Again, giving the best of Urban Alternative Group, Black Rock and Roll, Psychedelic Soul, Afro Punk, certainly. That was Ruxana Marie's Money. Check her out. Matter of fact, I found out about this artist um, from Spotify. Spotify has their own Afro Punk section. So uh, there's, I would implore our audience to definitely check out what's going on in Afropunk, Afropunk.com, Afro, Afropunkfestival.com. Don't believe the hype about hip-hop being the only music available popular pop culture-wise. You know, there's a recent article that came out. We spoke about it briefly last podcast. And uh, this is the first time where hip-hop has overtaken rock music as, I guess, the preeminent music culturally, uh, like 25% versus 23%. And yet, you know, this goes on ignored, all this interesting music, uh, talented artistry, and we're led to believe that 444 is the best thing going. And I don't really have a problem with 444. I'm just saying. Anyway, uh, my, my crew is waiting in abeyance with bated breath. Let's get through it. Uh, Captain, you know who this person is, Captain Kirk, uh, the captain of this enterprise, of the uh, spaceship Afro Nerd. Captain, you're needed on terra firma again. Again. Pardon the mispronunciation. Let's get to it, sir. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Sometimes I get, I get out of character. It's a game for the purposes of the show. I'm always asked about why do I pronounce it that way. Uh, it's just my thing. Anyway, uh, this gentleman, again has an eidetic memory, knows everything as far as comic books and sports geekery is concerned, could not do the show without him, certainly. He is the uncanny Daryl B. Pop style, friends and people doing their thing over in San Diego. And again, Uranus with the Black Hills Matter movement. Dude, keep on doing your thing, man. Ah. Very good, very good. Um, the music, the funk, from left coast, west coast, our own podcast queen, very fiery. I wouldn't, I would not be discouraged to see her on Themyscira in some Wonder Woman two version. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Anyway, she is Claire Lene. Claire. Is that you? It is I. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing okay. How are you? Very good. This really is your song, you know. <laughs> oh, I know it is. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gang. We got a lot to talk about. Um, I didn't think we would, but then uh, the way things are with, with San Diego Comic-Con, it's just stuff pouring out. And I want to thank you personally, Claire, because you've been sending some articles uh, in the last few moments, uh, some very good articles, especially one uh, by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. We keep on forgetting that he's part of the Blurred community, and um, he went in on what's going on and what to expect about uh, superheroes of color, black heroes specifically. So anyway, we're going to talk about all this stuff. Uh, let me let the uncanny take the lead on this. What have you heard? Out of SDCC 2017. I mean, it's just it's pouring out. 
It's going on even as we speak, by the way. What have I? What haven't I heard? Uh, firstly, today, and and uh, Claire will probably uh, probably uh, refer more to it later. Probably the best Justice League trailer to drop so far. The only problem I have with it, your posters all ruin the damn surprise. If you have half a mind and you follow the story, you know, the trailer alludes to a secret, but every poster you put out gave it away already. Um, the Young Justice uh, uh, poster, uh, it's going to be a 26-episode season and uh, for the season three. But the problem is with your poster, uh, can I get some black females? Where is the Asian and Latina or Latino, you know, parts to this? You know, I see, oh, you put static on, right? You put Blue Beetle, but unlike a lot, he's fully in the thing. So if you didn't know he was Latino, you know, that's kind of ostracized in there. Just, I, I, I'm just saying, DC, you're trying, but every time you open your mouth, we can pull these things back to you. Uh, just like what I say with Justice League, the first poster you release, release out includes a member that's dead and no cyborg. So, you know, you, you don't expect us to pick up on that, but we pick up on that. You know, as far uh, as uh, positives for them, it may be a shot at Marvel, but I'm liking what the, the comics thing with the terrific. Right, it looks like a team that's led by Mr. Terrific, and its members are Phantom Girl, Plastic Man, and Metamorpho, and they're all wearing white and black suits except for Metamorpho because you know he's got that multicolored thing of his his shape changing, but it looks an awful lot like the Fantastic Four, an awful lot like, but but but. What's going to keep me on that project is Doc Chenier is doing the art. He was the, one of the artists behind Future Quest. All right. Um, flipping over, leaving DC and going over to Marvel real quick. Um, simply put, I, they, they expounded on legacy a little bit more, generations, legacy, that whole thing. And... Uh, I, my problem with this, Marvel, is you're releasing this thing big, and you're not giving us, uh, you're not giving us the creative teams. That's A. All right? They, they, just, they just released that, that the, the team behind Daredevil and behind, um, what are they doing now? Behind Black Widow, uh, Mark Wade and Chris uh, Samney are going to be the ones that are going to be behind... Um, are going to be behind the new rebooted Captain America after after uh, Secret Empire, which you know if if you followed Wade's run with with Cap before, you know he could do a damn good uh, Cap. And Chris Samney's art, yo, hey, that that's already a a a, 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 a an A list book right there, just just like that. Um, and the other news that I glommed on to for Marvel is it seems that Peter Parker is going to be back to the status quo. What does this mean for Parker Industries? 
What does this mean for Miles Morales? We don't know. But the post today revealed has Peter Parker in front of a Daily Bugle like poster or projection, you know, or with uh, in his Spidey garb, like, and it says Peter Parker is a menace. So, you know, they, they're going to flip the script on that. Outside of that, uh, uh, I know people want the Spawn movie. You could take it or leave it. I don't have high hopes for that anymore. Um, yeah, McFarlane could tell me, oh, it's going to be R, oh, it's going to be... I have stopped starting with you for over, like, ten years on this thing. When it comes out, I'm treating you like Justice League. When it comes out, I'll be, I'll be right there with it. But until it comes out, everything's hot air. And you know what? Props to David Walker... Amy Chu, Roger Robinson, uh, Desiree Rodriguez, who am I forgetting? Damon Scott, all the folks over at Catalyst Prime. Because unlike some companies that talk about diversity and and, uh, just give you scraps and bits and and tease you with it, they have talked about it and delivered. And in case you didn't know, check out Superb One that came out this week by David Walker and Sheena Howard with art by uh, Ray Anthony Height. Dr. Sheena if Howard. You, we had her as a guest. Yeah. If you wanted the, the how Marvel Civil War originally started to be uh, an actual and factual, like, to be believable, check this book out. I mean, it, it, it's it's uh, I, I I'm hooked from day one. It it the uh, the personalities. It has a lot of this stuff that that um that that we've been wanting to see from from these people. Uh, you know, or, or, or these people from 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 com- uh, comic creators and comic companies for a while. You got a solid black family. You got a mysterious superhero. You got an event that, uh, as a catalyst. Sorry, had to use the pun. I, I can't give it enough credit on that. And finally, I- I'll end with this: with sci pay close attention to Sci-Fi Channel because we've been uh, paying attention to other stuff they've been doing, but they just picked up uh, uh, Alan Tudyk's Con Man. They, 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 they're pushing stuff. You know, just wait till you hear some of these rumors about what they're taking Krypton to be. I didn't anticipate that. I, I mean, sci-fi is making some moves on the low. So so I, I'm paying attention to that. So that's, that's all I got. I, I know there's a, a bunch more that we can debate. But off the top of my head, that's some of the stuff that intrigues me. Back to you, Afternoon. All right, da- damn SDCC for a minute, and I say that half half seriously. Damn SDCC for a minute. My apologies once again to our to our own queen of the podcast, uh, Claire Linnae, Our own Claire Linnae was a panelist, uh, I believe, last week. She she can correct me at the Asian American Comic Con, and I know the New York version started in two thousand nine. And she was a panelist, and she, that's one of the reasons why she was unable to, 
to participate with us. So I, I want to hear more about her her experiences at the Asian American Comic Con. What was her panel uh, about, and her experiences at the, at that convention? Um, I hope it comes back to New York because I, I wish I had been more aware of it. But there are so many comic conventions now; uh, it's amazing. But Claire, walk us through a little bit. Um, sure, no problem. You know, <clears throat> unfortunately, I really wasn't able to spend that much time uh, at the event simply because, you know, I had to work that night. But, um, you know, it's it's interesting. It It feels, if I may be perfectly honest, it feels like a good step, okay? It feels like a nice uh, push in the right direction. I really hope that in terms of, you know, having it be bi-coastal and having it really, you know, solidify into into something, you know, into something bigger and more, um, I just feel like <laughs> it was a nice try, a nice attempt at, you know, making this a thing, and I really hope that it does. It was only about five hours long. It was very compact. It was very streamlined. It just, it it took place um, in Little Tokyo, which is in uh, a little corner spot of downtown L.A. Um, the venue was the Japanese American Museum of History, and it's, um, you know, it was, it was, Lovely. I'm very thankful that I was given the opportunity to speak on this panel. I actually kind of felt, you know, like I am not worthy. Like why, you know, like that. Well, you know how people are. We we all get kind of nervous or insecure, um, especially when you feel like your credentials don't, you know, match up or you know align as much with the other. Uh, co-discussants, the other speakers, but all in all, it was great. Um, I think the first panel, um, I think, sorry, the first or second panel, I mean, I apologize, I don't have the uh, itinerary in front of me, it just kind of goes over, you know, the different aspirations of what, including more people of color, more diversity, will, you know, what what that will bring to the future of of comic book storytelling and 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 superhero storytelling, you know, adding to the mythology, um, to where it's more inclusive and more immersive and and I didn't get a chance to speak to Mark Bernardin who was on the part, panel before me, but he kind of you know went into the different you know, how how tricky it can be to to be able to say yes this character has anger, but how do we make it to where he's a, a fully-fledged character, a fully-fledged human being, and not the angry black man? And so we kind of touched on that in my panel, which was called, um, you know, uh, Women Warriors, Redefining the Female Superhero in an Asian context or, you know, a, a women of color context. And it was terrific. It really was. It was moderated by uh, Rebecca Sun from The Hollywood Reporter. We had Paula Yu. She's a writer on Supergirl. 
we had uh, Sarah Kuhn, comic book writer, uh, creator of uh, Heroine Complex. We had uh, Samantha Joe, stunt person, stunt performer, and she worked on Wonder Woman, which was awesome. <laughs> so I was I was kind of giddy even just talking to her because, um, as you might have noticed, I have been delving into that world myself with a lot of kickboxing and martial arts training. Um, and we also had um, uh, Sumali Montano. She's a, a voiceover uh, actress. Uh, forgive me that her credits are not in front of me. I apologize. But um, it was just really fascinating. It was really interesting to be able to kind of listen to everyone's take on it, you know, between the different tropes, the different stereotypes, the different pigeonholes that we end up uh, getting boxed into whenever we go into a meeting, whenever we go into an audition, whenever, whatever, whatever, you know, in terms of each of our perspectives as writers or content creators or performers or, I mean, all of it, all of it, you know, how I, you know, might say like, hey, you know, I'm kind of sick and tired of the whole massage parlor girl, me love you long time girl, nail salon girl, and all that crap. And then for Sumali, you know, she has a different look, but it's obvious that for her, the categories that she falls into a lot is the, you know, the doctor and the lawyer and just, the, and again, falling into one-dimensional stereotypes and how Hollywood, great example, which, you know, this, this past year or so, the past couple years have actually given us several examples, but in terms of why why someone like Tilda Swinton is asked to play the ancient one, well, the justification, the rational is that, oh, well, we just figured that if we made it, you know, closer to canon, it would come off a stereotype, you know, martial arts, you know, with iron fist, oh, but yeah, you know, we don't want to do that because it, it just comes off as a stereotype or, oh, but we can't really have a woman step into that, that role of, of, of authority or aggression because then she's a dragon lady and just all these different excuses as to why, oh, because it's a stereotype. We would just rather not include you. We would just rather erase you from the story altogether. Even if it's a story that you came up with. So we were talking about a lot of that and how it's not a stereotype. It's just an element of the character once you make this, like I said, a fully-fledged three-dimensional you know, human being with thoughts and feelings and a past and a future and, you know, desires and fears and everything, at that point it's not just someone who is doing karate. It's not just someone who has a walk-on role as the prototypical nerd or, you know, scientist or doctor or nurse or, you know, prostitute. You know, it's... It, it's not becoming, it's not just let, having us be props, which, let's face it, we've always been that. We've always been props. We've always been um, set dressing, window dressing. We're, we're there to make the white people look better. We are there to give the TV show or the movie some sort of exotic flair, 
you know. We are just there for aesthetic reasons and nothing more. So we, you know, we went into a lot of different things, and I'm so bummed that I wasn't able to stay all the way to the end because George Takei was there, and he was honored by um, Jeff Yang and uh, Keith Chow, who I'm sure you know, he's the um, oh, yes. creator of Nerd Color. And it was just, you know, it's. I hope and pray that it continues on year after year and gets bigger and bigger and bigger because it deserves to be. It absolutely deserves to be, and um, like I said, you know, it could have gone a, a bit better. It's just that we were so pressed for time that I just felt like we didn't really get a chance to delve in. I know I certainly didn't feel like I got a chance to really cover the things that I wanted to, but, you know, I'm just very honored and thankful that they invited me. Like, wow, you somebody gives a damn about what I have to say in terms of Asian representation or the lack thereof, hey, I'm that's I appreciate it. So it was an interesting experience. And you know what? July is just crazy. Let me tell you, July's nuts because we had that and then you got D twenty three covering all things Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, Pixar, and now you got San Diego Comic Con, which is super intense, let me tell you. I mean that I mean the the, the amount of, of information Billing over, it's just crazy. July is a crazy month for sure for nerds and you know well, let me say, all fandom. Let, let me let me say a, a few things quickly. Um, well, one, I, we are very proud of your participation in that. Well, once I heard about it, I was like, okay, uh, you come through next week. It provides content for for Afrona Radio, and it also is endemic as to what we're about anyway. So you were doing your job in quotes with uh, with your attendance there. So uh, I, I'm very glad that you that you were a participant, and uh, you're you're correct. You know, I I heard about the one that was in New York years ago, but because of our other respective gigs, uh, our, myself and everyone else on, on our on our little show, it is very difficult to keep up with all this stuff. And it's such a so much information, almost a deluge of information, that it's hard to kind of take take all this all this stuff in properly. Um, but as far as your belief or your concerns about uh, the Asian American Comic Con growing, I'm pretty sure that the captain and the uncanny can also chime in on this, that it's going to grow because I don't see it. When, when you were speaking, I was so so with your experience because we, it's very similar to, to our experience at, at the uh, Harlem Black Comic Festival. It's, it's almost identical. So uh, these things start off small. And they just build. I mean, you will, you will see, if you continue to go, you will see that it, that it will become its own monster. Be careful what you ask for. If you know, that's the adage. Uh, we see that these, these comic conventions have given birth to other like-minded comic conventions. Uh, Hell, the, the Blurred Con, I found out about it uh, for, for some uh, uh, Asian brethren at the New York Comic Con. Uh, Daryl was with me. They, you know, even though it was called Blurred Comic Con, it really was proxy for uh, nerds of color. Um, the, the, the Universal Con, which is Jamie Broadnax's project for next year, that's being pushed like I don't know what. So I just, I just suspect that the Asian American Comic Con is going to be its own entity. It's going to be big because everybody else's respective Comic Cons. Hell, the Flame Con, which is the LGBTQ community, they have their own Comic Con. 
So everyone's getting down with the Comic-Con space. So I, I, I'm very confident that that's going to be a big thing. Um, also something else. I, I'm looking at this thing at Bleeding Cool, and then we'll get back into SDCC talk. Um, Michael Davis, Daryl, from Milestone, spoke at a comic uh, panel, combo panel, and he kind of went off script a little bit from what I'm reading, and he kind of, again, when listening to, to Claire, he kind of went into a similar thing about what's going on. And uh, from my understanding, well, let me read this quickly so you get an idea that people are not going for this lack of representation thing anymore. That it, it is between what's happening with, and I hate to go into politics, but it's kind of a, an elephant in the room you can't, you can't kind of get around. Because of the, 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 the overt racial connotations coming from this White House, and you hear these, these, these outrageous stories of people becoming very comfortable in spewing hatred as if it's 1950. People really want to go back there, and it's not going to happen. This is what I, I, I want to read this quickly from Bleeding Cool from uh, Michael Davis, chiming in on what Claire is talking about. It says, uh, it's entitled, Michael Davis Talks, The Representation of People of Color in America. Though the panel got off to a rocky start, it was full of powerful emotions that I think many in the room would relate to. It is not often that I see a black man so open and honest about his emotions and struggles in a public setting. It was power to see and incredibly important. Michael Davis talked about being tired, but a tired in a way that many people of color in America feel from watching the news and looking around their communities. He showed a clip of a piece that Trevor Noah did on The Daily Show about Philando Castile. We weren't here to talk about the representation of people of color in the comic book industry, but about representation in America, and in many ways these things are the same. To this end, Davis announced the launch of the foundation he founded with Wayne Brady. Level Next was established to create stories by people, by and people of color. It looks to create a space, an opportunity for stories to be told that many, that may not be able to see the light of day. And as I mentioned, it says here in closing, Michael Davis is the co-founder of Milestone Comics and co-creator of Static, and he's a regular contributor to Bleeding Cool. So I just want to throw that out there that, you know, people are fed up. It's going down. <laughs> All right, um, folks, I want to take another musical break because there's a lot to talk about. Another two minutes. When we get back, we're going to talk more about, uh, you know what, actually, before we get into SDCC, I think this might have been brought up at SDCC. We've got to get into this briefly. Confederate. Confederate. It was brought up, I think, Bison, our D.C. contingent, brought up this, this, this HBO perspective, HBO series that was announced. And I believe it's kind of sort of analogous to Amazon's The Man in the High Castle, uh, an alternative history. Many folks are having a, uh, a feeling a certain way about it. Um, I don't know why I don't feel a certain way about it. I'm kind of intrigued by this, but some people I, I don't know. Roxanne Gay, we know her from uh, World of Wakanda, Ta-Nazi's friend. Uh, she took umbrage with the concept of a confederate. We'll, we'll talk more about exactly what it's, what it's about. Anyway, more Afropunk, folks. This is Abaka, Blame the Youth. Give you about two minutes. We'll be right back. More SDC talk, more Confederate talk. Hold on.
again, folks, new by way of Afropunk, a backup, blame the youth. This is the Grindhouse, folks. My co-discussants in full effect, Claire Lene from the left coast, of course, the Uncanny Daryl B., and Captain Kirk, and yours truly, D-Bird, a.k.a. the Afro Nerd. The call-in number is a balmy, constant, warm 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. Another left coast compatriot has uh, weighed, is coming in. Let me bring him in. John, by way of, I think, Seattle. Is that correct, John? It is correct. Okay, cool. How are you, man? How are you? Oh, man. Busy as, man. Uh, Hold on one second. Let me bring everybody else in. Working the boards. Okay. Uh, and for those who are on hold, if you'd like to join in, you know how it works. Just press 1. That way we know that you are that you want to join in. Press 1 like uh, Horshack. I'm dating myself. <laughs> Welcome back, Carter. That, that way we know that you want to join in. All right. Before the, uh, the musical break, I want to talk about this Confederate deal, and then we'll get back into Comic-Con. Dow, was Confederate actually mentioned at Comic-Con? I'm not sure. Uh, as far as I know, it, it wasn't mentioned, but we've been mentioning it. You know, it, 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 I, and you'll, you'll get into it, and you'll give them the bios, but, but it seems funny that this gets a green light, and, and for folks out there, it's being done by the, the showrunners of uh, Game of Thrones. So once they announced that this was their next project, it got – of course, Game of Thrones fans went crazy with it and, and started blogging it everywhere and talking about it. And folks of color that just watched uh, a, a show like Underground saw this get green-lighted by HBO and go like, now, hold up a second, but you're about to get into it, so there you go. Yeah, well, you know, again, I, I'm not sure how, how I feel about it. I mean, I, at first I, was, I wasn't as angry, per se, because we've seen – I think there was even a, a movie a couple of years ago. Uh, I forgot the name of the U.S. – I think it was like a U.S. Confederate of America or something like that, U.S. Confederacy, some, some alternate history uh, movie that was out. Um, I could barely, I will say, I could barely look at it because I think the prospect of slavery going beyond uh, the, the postbellum, uh, you know, I, I can't really handle that. But it, I'm not going to say it wasn't interesting, but I, I don't know if I had the constitution for it. But anyway, um, we know the man in the high castle at Amazon is very popular. And for those who have been living under a rock, you know, that has a, an alternate, alternate history, uh, like a what if for an Elseworlds comic. What if the uh um, the um allied powers during the world war during world war 2 what if we lost what if it, what what if the japanese and the nazis if the axis powers had won so i mean it, it, you know listen you can't say that's not interesting so that's working out at amazon and i guess the the cats from from uh game of thrones are exploring what if the, the South had won. What if the Confederate Army had won? So if that's the case, what would happen if – what would modern slavery look like? Um, and Roxane Gay, her first salvo was, well, these two quote-unquote white guys are exploring this. What's up with that? And she she kind of put it out there that way. Um, she might have a point, but at the same time I'm thinking – 
what clouds clouds my judgment, I must confess, is that when I start to hear some of the SJW and millennial um, angst about this type of stuff, it seems like it's knee-jerk. It's like it's just the, the, the idea, they cut it, and we never get a chance to flesh it out and see where they're going with this. But, you know, modern slavery exists now also. That's another aspect. Let's not pretend to think that slavery it doesn't isn't in the modern world. Slavery is is still with us still. So that's one thing that made me think about it. So um, let me go around the room here. Let's go around the horn. Uh, Daryl, you open it up a little bit. So what are your thoughts about this? Confederate well, uh, by HBO. I, I, I already started, so I'll leave it with this. The showrunners messed up by with one tweet. One of them sent it out, and I was like. Once you send this out, it's already out there. You have done messed up, and everybody's going to be coming back, clapping back at you. And the tweet went something like, imagine the, the Confederate flag being flown on government buildings in this day and age. And I looked at it like, okay, uh, <laughs> yes, that was the actual tweet. When, when they started getting this, it went like, you, you don't understand. You have to imagine. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Every black person that sees this tweet, if they have southern neighbors or southern relatives, they are going to clap back fully on this. This was your way of trying to get us to support you? Good luck with this. That was beautiful because a lot of, a lot of the South looks outside and there is there is there's the Confederate flag still being flown on public buildings. You know, very few places in the South, government-wise, have been able to remove that without some clapback. All right, from 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 oh, it's part of our heritage, and uh, you're you're just reminding us of something that people see every day. You know, and so so that's uh, hey, me. I like a good alternative world tale, but the problem is uh, you guys went from zero to 100 with this too fast and didn't think about, well, you know, there's a possibility here that that, that it will really, really, like, come back at its heart. I'm just saying. Back to you, Afrinerd. All right, let's go to the captain. Captain, what are your thoughts about Confederates? The HBO proposal, the announcement by these two gentlemen from the Game of Thrones, uh, D.B. Weiss and uh, David Benowitz, maybe? I don't know how to pronounce his surname. Well, there's a lot of ways you can go with this. You know, you put out a movie, the people do have the right to protest it. They have the right to write articles and everything else. Also, to the other side of the equation is that you put someone puts out something, you don't like it, you don't watch it. There's a lot of things I didn't like. Sensei... You know, but, you know, you know, I didn't watch it. You know, I, I didn't go blog. I didn't blog. I didn't go write. I didn't go do that. But there's, there's another side also. It's a three-sided situation. We know the effect on the real world. We talk about it here. Let's look at some of these reality shows, these gutter, these gutter reality shows, cross-racially, because they got them cross-racially now, that they may have possibly, allegedly, theoretically, Effect on people You know they, What you ingest What you take in 
you somewhat become, just like some of the music also, too. So there's an aspect with that going on also with this. So you got you to look at it all day. All day. Yeah, you know, you got to look at all of that. Me, personally, I don't really care for this. You know, I, I don't really care. For, I'm not angry with it, though. I'm not, you know, oh, they have to take it off or anything. It's probably... I might watch an episode or two to see what's going on and probably be like, eh, it's not, not my thing. That's the vibe that I get right now. I'm not angry with it. But at the same time, you got to watch this, you know, because I know the effect that this has when there's a lot of this going on. When you have like 30 shows coming out like this, and it's early, right? It's an inception now. It does affect reality to a certain extent. So you got to just watch it. Just got to watch it. Back over to you, Aston Earth. All right, uh, John, your thoughts, and then we go to uh, Claire Lene. Do we need this? Do we need this, or do we not need it? Well, what do you mean by need? That's the part that needs to be clarified here. Um, well, I mean, I'm talking about culturally. Do do you think this is? I mean, if there's a man in the high castle, and we're we're able to uh, accept uh, faux Nazis and uh, Japanese. Um, and you know Japanese uh, taking over the U.S. as if it were you know 1945. Uh, if we could handle that, can we handle you know a, a real postbellum society? Well, I'd like to think so, but um, yeah, I'm not insensitive to the pushback here. It's it is a very hot button issue, I know, but you know, I'm a history guy. And, you know, I actually studied that in college. And alternate history is one of my hobbies. And so I'm a little curious to see what uh, they want to do with this and what direction they want to go. And is it always going to be just on the idea of slavery, or is it going to be, you know, what would this Confederate nation look like? You know, what troubles would they go through? Uh, How would they interact with the North United States as it is now? What would their relations be with Mexico and all that? There's a lot that you can flesh out in a story like that. Um, If they focus strictly on slavery, I think they're going to miss a lot of opportunities to tell some really good stories. And, again, what would slavery look like in a modern context, assuming that slavery did survive all this time? You know, there's really a lot of questions that are left unanswered as far as I'm concerned. Um. Do we need it? I'm not against having a conversation. That's pretty much the only way I can explain it is, you know, let's not stifle the conversation. Let's have it. What are your ideas? What are my ideas? Let's see what we can come up with and have a little fun, you know, daydreaming a little bit. Because that's basically what the man in High Castle is, is what would a Nazi America look like? Or if you want to take it another way, what would a communist America look like? You know, I don't know. Uh, I have to agree with you on, on that. I'm, I'm not. I guess the only counter I would say uh, that some of the folks that have uh, a problem with this is that the underground argument is something. The fact that that because of um, what was the network that that was actually on, that uh, was t- another own, another owners came in with kind of a, a more of a conservative leaning, and you know they weren't going to carry underground. Yes, thank you. WGN. So there was some, some politics attached to the loss of underground, and now um, 
you know, it's searching for a new home. I think Oprah kind of declined on that. So that that's what makes it troublesome for me. I would have liked to have seen. I hope it does get a home, maybe Netflix, maybe even Amazon. Uh, that has difficulties, which, you know, may be more about empowerment and overcoming slavery, whereas this is going with, okay, slavery ne- never ended. Let's get it popping. You know, it, it, there is a thing there going on. So I, I think the argument about the loss of underground is problematic. So I, I, I understand where they're going with that. Uh, more callers. I want to hear from Claire. Claire, what are your thoughts about Confederate and, you know, Game of Thrones is, is kind of a beast as far as writing and, and entertainment. So, you know, maybe there's a quality thing going on. I have no idea. I really don't. What are your thoughts? Um, I mean, it's just way too soon to be jumping down anybody's throat about this. I mean, people ask me, well, well, hey, I mean, don't you do the same thing whenever you talk trash about, you know, um, Ghost in the Shell or, (laughs) you know, the Great Wall or some such or that um, I just love it how those guys um, doing the uh, World War Two Hawaiian, you know, native. He was a, a hero, and it is a fascinating story. And of course, a white guy wants to play the the hero, and you know, of course, when people get upset, it's like they make themselves out to be the victim that they are being cyber-bullied and they are being attacked. How dare we be so upset and offended when we haven't even seen, you know, what they're playing? I don't need to see it. I don't need to see anything. That's that's just completely separate. Because people are like, well, isn't it the same thing that you're attacking these? No, it is not. It is not the same thing. For this? Yeah, okay, so you got these Game of Thrones guys, and I understand where Roxanne Gay is coming from in terms of, yet again, another person of color, you know, type of story and how, you know, slavery is, you know. Honestly, and I've said this before on the show, you know I've said this before, with all due respect, I don't need to see another slavery movie. I don't need to see more slavery stories. With all due respect... I don't need to see that. I really don't. I really don't. That's why it's just so frustrating that, you know, just to get three examples from those articles that I was telling you about, just to get three examples and three, you know, suggestions of how to shape these characters, you know, from the great, you know, Karima Abdul-Jabbar, just what, Black Panther, Luke Cage, and Black Lightning. You know, already it's a struggle just to get a positive heroic, inspiring, you know, aspirational type of, you know, way to envision people of color, a way to envision our future, our place in society. Do you know what I'm saying? It's very tough just to get that going and consistent and off the ground and just, you know, the expansion of it, building upon the, the, the last and, and, you know, I... I'm sorry, but I just don't care. I know that sounds horribly insensitive, and I get where they're coming from, that, hey, you know, you haven't 
see what we're up, what we're trying to do. It's going to be really interesting. And yes, I am curious about it, vaguely. And I'm, and I haven't even seen um, Man in the High Castle, which again, that does sound fascinating. And I am curious about that. Alternate history is not something that hasn't been done before. It has, it has. You know, it's just, it's just a matter of how you approach it. You know, with Inglorious Bastards and what Quentin Tarantino did with that version of, um, you know, the fight with the Nazis. It's it was very much his style, his take on it. You know, but as an auteur, as a as a artist, we've come, we've grown accustomed to appreciating his way of doing things. You know, so that's why we're on board. That's why we're on board. You know, it, I just, I don't know how I feel about necessarily seeing such dystopic, you know, potential realities about what would happen if the Nazis won, what would happen if slavery was not abolished, and that literally the country was divided in two, similar to how it is right now. You know, I yeah, don't I need that. to see that. You know what I'm saying? I don't I'm need saying. to see that. I, I live that. I yeah, it might be going that. down. You know, it may be going down even as we speak. That's, I guess that, that may be the irony of it all. We have a lot of callers. Let's open up the lines. I think our friend Q Storm is waiting. Uh, another DMV person as well. Q, is that you? Yes, sir. It's me. What's up, man? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I wanted to say real quickly. You know, we had a little tiff about me turning on the uh, on your podcast and exposing my son to all the filth and flom from Dave Chappelle. Okay, <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> and then I turn on the pod, then I, I turn on Jay Z's album, uh, 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 Story of OJ, and all the end and then that, and I tell my son, I was like, like you know the difference between G A and G E R, and he's like, oh, oh I already God. know that. He says, I already oh. know that, and I said, well, who's been telling you about that? Oh. What man's been telling my Bye. son about this? That's my uh, job. Oh, I heard it on that podcast yeah. you listened to. Oh, I'm like, ain't this up? Afro knows up his school on my son. Anyway. Um, oh, imagine uh, the consultation. That kid should be able to, to uh, figure out. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. I'm not going to go on this. <laughs> yeah, you just. Let's ease up on that. Um, no, no, his consultation to, is going to be good. It's going to be on point. <laughs> Conservative young man. Go ahead. Well, you, and I think you, he met the both of you. I'm glad to say he met you and Daryl up at the a few, couple of years ago at the comic, the Black Comic Book Festival. Oh, okay, um, there you go. Yeah. Um, but in regards to Confederate, <clears throat> I, I have to admit I am intrigued, but I also understand that, that most people are I, – I tend, from what I've read and what I've seen, I think people are reacting negatively because these two, these two men of a particular hue – are going to be coming off of a show that was very heavily of that uh, featured actors of that same hue, very few people of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wonder if it was like, let's say, the producers and writers of The Wire. I think, what's the guy's name? David Simon, is that his name? Something like that? Yes. If yes. it was someone like that, would you be seeing this outcry? I, I don't know. I'm just speculating. But um, see, <clears throat> this is the case where I'm intrigued. I want to see what they're going to do with it. It could come up either very insulting, or it could be a, the, one of the largest, almost Samuel Pepys-like, uh, uh, Jonathan Swift, some of the best sarcasm, or, uh, or uh, I forget what that, that style of writing is called. 
that we've ever seen. Um, what's their motivation? Are they wanting to show us? I mean, to me, the the, the clear um, allegory is to show us how many people, maybe in, in the Trump era, many of the people that we may think are open-minded may not be, to show us how easily something like that could happen, perhaps. If, if, if the conditions were right, your friends and neighbors might not be the people you think they are. They may be acquiescent to that type of environment. So I understand both sides, but I just have to admit I am intrigued. Yeah, I, I kind of have it. I'm like that myself. I'm, I'm more of, okay, let's see what how this plays out. I mean, that's essentially what, where, where I am with it. I, I didn't have that that knee jerk reaction of, oh, I don't I, I don't believe in this. You know, this 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 does not do this. The the argument about underground not finding a home is a valid one, but I'm not ready to kind of jump down. But I also kind of I'm kind of with Claire. I'm in, in the middle when Claire talks about you know the slave narrative. It's like, okay, we, that seems to be one of the things that gets green-lighted very easily. And 2017 going to 2018, with Black Panther on the horizon, we have a lot of, uh, hell, Herbie Hancock, even though I don't know how well this movie is doing, the Valerian movie. The, 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 the mighty Herbie Hancock has an acting gig in Valerian. I mean, there's things that are turning around. We, we just came off of a, of a president of color, a black president, and now you want to bring us back into slavery. I, I have mixed emotions about this thing. Um, I have no idea. I have no idea. Oh, uh, uh, we'll, take, we'll take a dump not, on not it. Very we'll take well, a dump, by the way. We'll take a dump on it once, if it, if it sucks. Daryl? Yeah, Valeria did very well. From what I hear, it only made 18 mil the first day. Wow. So, <laughs> it, 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 it's got a it's, it better, it better big uh Saturday and Sunday because the Friday it did not uh, no 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 it did not hit. And I already told people. Wait a minute, I'm not the wait. You said Element fan, so I'm not wait, there you said, with you guys for the Luke Besson stuff. So I'm I'm already my hands were off of this one. So I've just, I've been sitting on the sidelines watching this. This was correct. But wait, if you said 18 million in in a, in a day, isn't that considered successful? Eighteen million. Well, well it, it, up to now, I saw the figure put out like three o'clock. It's a hundred and eighty-five was the the budget. One hundred eighty-five million oh. was the budget, and they expected yeah. they 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 wanted like a fifty-four fifty-five million dollar opening weekend, and so far it's only eighteen. Oh, okay, it's into that. No one. I heard it was kind of well. empty. That is, it's a beautiful looking picture, but you can't have all that beauty and have have no substance. That's what's fearful. I was fearful of it. It just looks good. If it looks good and it's empty, that's where you end up having a sucky box office. I, I perceive. You just described, as far as I'm concerned, most of Luke Besson's material. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to seven hundred three to DMV. Real quick, we have more callers here. Seven hundred three DMV in the house. What's up? Hey, what up, guys? Hello, ladies. Hey, um, it's Black Ronin in the house. How you doing? What's Black? up, man? How are you? How everybody doing? Good. 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 Um, oh, Valerium. Yeah, Daryl's right. Valerium. I, I thought all most of the reviews are pretty pretty crap. It's very pretty to look at, but not no substance. 
um, and, and very lacking in people of color outside of aliens. So I already heard. <laughs> that's that what I was afraid of too. Looking yeah. at the dang trailers. Yeah, and I heard the stars of it are like terrible. The two, the two young actors. Um, people say they look too similar. They look. They're supposed to be in a romantic relationship, but they look like they're related, and that's turning some people off as well. <laughs> wow. It, it's, it's going. It's, it's, it's going down hard. It, it's Jupiter ascending again. That's pretty much. Let's, let's put it that way. Hey, you know, something else. Hey, you know something else, and I might have mentioned this before, which is kind of really irking me because it's one of my favorite films. Uh, this Blade Runner twenty forty nine. We're talking about thirty plus years since the first movie, and you know we were we're all conditioned to think a certain way. So growing up. Looking at the reruns, looking at the videotape, I bought, I, I purchased Blade Runner on DVD maybe two or three times. That's how much, I, how much I love that movie. But uh, if we're gonna do, if we're gonna go into this, and we know that we know the, the behind-the-scenes shenanigans with Harrison Ford and Ridley Scott with their tumultuous relationship, and I, I, Scott isn't even attached to this. Is that correct, Daryl? Not really. No, he's got executive producer, but for some, executive producer means, oh, okay, I'm going to be talking to people, and some, oh, while they're filming it, I'm going to be on the golf course. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, uh, if if I remember correctly, with the first, the first um, Blade Runner, uh, very few, you had, you had Edward Olmos in there, James Olmos. You had James Wong, I believe. Uh, who I remember the, the eyes. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie, but he was, you know, dealing. He was kind of uh, dealing in 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 these these uh, genetic genetically created eyes or whatever. But in this iteration, I don't see really any black people, brown people, yellow people. I I, I mean, listen, this is thirty years now in real time. <laughs> now this is you know the fake time is twenty forty nine, and we're we're still seeing like this 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 dystopic future. Well, we don't see uh, a multicultural, multiracial landscape. That's what irks me. That's the one thing that's making me not want to see this movie. It's like, come on. Really? And, and, no. and you didn't catch the white woman in the kimono. <sighs> exactly. I wish I could really say it. You know, I'm like, I'm like uh, Q-Storm, but sometimes I do wish we could go into, into more blue talk. I know uh, Claire would like, love that as well. We might have to do a later show where I could really just cut loose, but it, it would mess up the brand. But uh, it, I get very angry. You can do it. Do it, man. You can hey, do it. Don't, don't, just don't. make sure your kid is wearing air muffs or, exactly. or is looking at something else when we do this, okay? Leave me out of that one. Don't <laughs> <laughs> invite me along, man. So, Confederate. All right, um, Mm-hmm. Let me get my thoughts on Confederate, uh, the Confederate. Uh, so what I read, I did actually read the article because I was kind of intrigued when I first saw it. Uh, I, I am a big Game of Thrones fan, and I think for many of us, for many, I, I don't want to speak for all of us, but many black people who watch this show, we watch Game of Thrones because this shows white people being bad to each other. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> that's just, you really understand white people because all the good white people get killed <laughs> and all the evil ones survive, and, you know, it's, a little too close to reality in many many ways, so that's why we watch Game of Thrones. Um, yeah, but there's plenty of there are there's plenty of stuff in Game of Thrones though where um, most of the black people are 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 either slaves or pirates. So that that is in the in the show. Where I, I have talked to people who actually read the books, and there actually are somewhat more nobler type people of color actually in the books, 
But for some of you that haven't made it to the show, and that's something that many of us are kind of wondering, and that's becoming up more and more on the interwebs. So you probably start to see more, more about that going going forward. Um, so these so these producers who decide to to work on Confederate, but what I understand is that they're going to executive produce um, and write and everything, but they are bringing on two black writers with, to work with them as well. The problem is, and I think April Rain, the woman who started um, Oscar So White, she, she's a reporter. She she has said that it's funny that how they announced the two black additional producers and writers that they 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 literally closed down their own. Uh, Twitter account like immediately right after they got they got announced that they were on we're going to work on the show with them, um, but they are also under them because they're remember the white guys are the executive producers so you know you got to keep that into account. I, I'm I'm somewhat curious about it to see what they would do because from, from my understanding I think John is going to appreciate this. What what's going on in the the premise of this show is that the South successfully succeeds from the Union. But there still is a, a, a union. Union still exists. So there's the North and the South and a demilitarized zone, and the border states in the middle. And, yes, it's going to take, take place, I guess, what would be our time now in the modern era. With, within, at least within the South, you know, they're still going to have slavery, yeah. They're going to transform into whatever form it's going to, it's going to be in. Um, so I, I read it and thought there might be some potential there, but then I thought about the, because these guys are writing Game of Thrones, and I'm, I'm like, okay, that's, that's what kind of – Turns me off to it. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to go to the internet and start like 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 uh, the captain was saying and start complaining about it per se. But I'm not going to be the first one to watch it. Though. I'll, I'll put it that way. I may wait a while, a couple episodes pass by and see what people are kind of saying before I would just jump in or whatever it is and take my own look at it. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what the premise is though. So it's not to say the Confederacy taking over the, the whole country per se, but it is a going to be a demilitarized zone. So there's going to be, you know, runaway slaves. There's going to be slave catchers. It's going to have probably a lot of elements that were, were in the show Underground as far as, you know, abolitionists are still going to be around, you know, how they work that system, you know. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how that how that turn, turn what would turn out. So I'm somewhat curious, but at the same time, I, I know these guys work, so I'm not going to be the first one to jump in. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is like a trial balloon personally. I, I'm not, yeah, we'll see if this actually happens or not, but I get a feeling this might be a trial balloon type thing. So, but that's but, my well, again, again I, I'm intrigued about it, but I'm thinking that, you know, how, how is the brother going to escape with facial recognition uh, software in the modern era? It is going to be a frightening fright, – and then, and then – and I'm going to go on to, to uh, Ben Affleck not being part of this uh, Batman thing, which is irking Ooh. me as well. But, uh, you know, slavery – they had sex farms with slavery. I mean, you know, in the 1800s, 1700s. How is that going to work out in 2017? Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 you know, how how real is it going to really be? You know, if you if you, if you go back into some of the 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 the, the, uh, the, the really uh, heinous things that happened to black people in you know 1789, uh, and and then extrapolate to that to 2017. See, I don't know if they're going to really you know. The more I think about this, you can't like be sugarcoat what it was to. Putting it all the way through to what it what it would be if it existed today, it would be crazy. I have yeah. no idea. They might want to leave that alone. <laughs> on, on Cap's point, we are running a danger of reverse Fahrenheit 451. This stuff, you know, where 
somebody doesn't like it goes on a Twitter spree, and then uh, yeah, yeah, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then later on, after you have all the bile and hate, and you you attack these creative people just trying to put ideas out there, and then you go back and you turn back later, like, you know, this is the first time I actually read the article. It isn't half bad. So, Captain, I see where you're coming from with that. That everybody's so knee jerk. With, yeah. Oh, I, that no, we can't do that. No, get it. No, no. That there may be possibilities for something intriguing to flower from it, but we kill it on the vine. So, Cap, I got well, what you're saying. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna say this real quick. Let me let me mention this quickly because we didn't address it in one of our past podcasts. But that that whole knee jerk reaction thing is is just it's a bit much with with what's ever happening on Twitter uh, and social media. Because uh, we're not seeing critical thinking where people just kind of hear a statement and they don't actually listen. Or It's like, who are these people? When uh, Zoe Kravitz comes out and she, she, uh, she affirms, again, she affirms her ethnicity. She's not getting away from that. But when she just says simply, and I think everyone, it's a statement that's been said before. She just says, I don't, I'm, a, I'm an artist. I'm not always a black artist. I'm paraphrasing, but she essentially said, uh, I'm an artist. People said, thought, and she said, I'm a proud black person, but I do want to be known as just an artist. Everyone went ham on her because they thought she said, you don't want to be black. I'm like, what? what? Did you not hear what this person actually said? So what's happening is that we're coming into a space where people just, they just ignore they hear what they want to hear without mm-hmm. actually getting into what the person actually said. So I just yeah. felt like, okay, you heard they're making a modernized slavery narrative. It's called Confederate. Let's just jump on that without hearing, fleshing it out and say, okay, where are they going with this? That's the part that kind of aggravated me is that I don't really know what to think about this thing. I haven't formulated an idea yet because I don't know anything about it. Everyone else is acting like they have a full 30-page dissertation on what Confederate is going to be. And that's how this culture seems to operate. They, hear, they, they get a whiff of something, and they just take a dump on it, and then we don't know what the hell is going on. That's, my, that, that's what kind of ruins it for me. All right, let's move forward, time constraints. Let's get into bad, Ben Affleck uh, again. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, uh, Darrow, in his inimitable wit, said, Fox is going to Fox, DC is going to DC. I see, I see that's trending a little bit. Um, oh man, Claire, do you know what this is about? It's effery. That's what it is. Well, of course, as we speak, I'm reading these articles saying that he has denied that he's exiting the DCEU. But I, I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, I don't really. Let's just say. Let's just say. <laughs> Uh-oh. That while he he may believe that to be true, as he you know is telling everyone at SDCC like, hey guys, don't worry, calm down, I'm still Batman, I'm not going anywhere, blah blah blah. Yeah, okay, okay. He even may he even may believe it. He even may believe it in that moment. But I wouldn't put it past him or Warner Brothers if these reports have some truth because honestly 
when he walked away from directing the solo Batman movie, we already kind of saw this coming. You know what I'm saying? We already kind of knew that there was trouble in paradise, that he was really upset with how things went down with Batman versus Superman, that it's just a stressful situation that even though it's not like anybody, you know, blames him. In fact, a lot of people gave him praise, saying that he was, you know, one of the best things about the movie, you know. Mm -hmm. But the issue is that it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, you know, getting tied into this universe. And he has very strong relationships with the, the people at Warner Brothers. But in terms of the pressure that it puts on someone, I can only imagine. I can only imagine that there are other things that you want to do with your life and your career that could completely steamrolled and overshadowed by, okay, so about Batman, Batman this, Batman that. So what's up with that? And, you know, I mean, I can understand that after a while it just wears on you. And you can see it. I mean, come on. The thing about Affleck is that he's not very good at hiding it. He's not very good at hiding his exhaustion and when he gets frustrated and kind of upset, you know, at at certain pitfalls of being in this, you know, particular position of, of, of representing a whole cinematic universe. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, especially because you don't have the ability to, you know, to have someone that you can look to to, 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 to really help you send that, send that not, not to share the responsibility, but I'm saying in terms of even, you know, carrying that. You know, Marvel, obviously, they have the architects that, that maintain that structure. They know how to carry the weight of it because they already have a preset vision and a strong team for which they they build the next brick and the, the brick after that and after that. So it's not like with DC where things just kind of happen. They just throw stuff and see, you know, what works and what doesn't. I'm very thankful that Wonder Woman worked. But I also knew that it very well could have sucked because there's just no real consistency in in the uh, the corporate, you know, the managerial side of things. So while he's at Comic-Con right now, a couple hours away from me in San Diego, trying to, you know, calm and soothe and tell everybody it's okay, I'm still Batman, don't listen to the, the media, don't listen to the press. At the same time, I kind of feel like, you know, he's doing his job, his due diligence to keep the machine going for now because he still has to promote for Justice League coming out this November. And technically, yes, he is still attached to the Matt Reeves uh, solo Batman film which Matt always, he's already talking about making that a trilogy, and that's what these folks need to just, they need to stop. They need to slow down and <laughs> stop. Try to get, you know, put the cart before the horse. You are getting so far ahead of yourself. You need to mm -hmm. slow down, okay? Who do you think you are? Marvel? They had 10 years, 10 years to build this universe up to where it is now. Don't act like you can come out of the woodwork today and build a universe like willy-nilly 
okay? I'm talking about you, mummy. I'm talking about you, dark universe. Give me a break with that nonsense. Kevin Smith, he nailed it. He nailed it. He said that when they came out with that, with the mummy and putting up that that, that universal logo with dark universe, that's hubris. That is the height of hubris, thinking that you can just, you know, wake up tomorrow and decide to build an entire franchise. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You have to build credibility. You have to build trust with your audience. And frankly, from what I've heard about The Mummy, you have failed to do so. Not a very good way to launch this whole, you know, epic crescendo of films that you so ambitiously think that you can, you know, with, with, with properties that are like 100 years old. Like, let's just be real. Let's just be real. How invested is a modern-day audience in seeing The Invisible Man, in seeing Wolfman, in seeing Bride of Frankenstein, in seeing Pro- – I'm, I'm just saying, I'm, let's just be realistic about this, okay? Let's just be real. How, how many people right now are willing to or even excited or remotely interested in seeing a modern-day take on that? And technically, The Mummy wasn't even their first – go around. Technically, they've already tried this with, you know, um, Dracula Untold and Van Helsing. It's like, come on. Come on. You No. No. Stop it. Stop. Everybody needs to just stop. Stop telling people that, oh, yeah, Power Rangers. Yeah, we're going to do, we're going to do seven movies. Give me a break. You haven't even gotten the first one out yet. Calm down. Like, this, this, this whole thing about universes and franchises and just, you know, overly ambitious in your assumptions that you'll make money, I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. I'm kind of, I'm just, I'm done. Talk about franchise fatigue, you know, I'm, I got the superhero-itis. It's like, oh, I'm full. I'm full. I need a nap. I'm tired. No more. Stop it. That's, that's just kind of where I'm at with that. That's how I feel. Anyway, just wanted to share. <laughs> okay, thank you as always. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I, we knew early on with Marvel's development that Marvel actually has a cultural infrastructure, and I just I just assumed that well, DC would also have a cultural infrastructure. But what Claire just said, you're hearing these these movies just being thrown out. You know, there's a Nightwing movie, there's a Batgirl movie, there's the. Uh, the uh, the uh, Gotham Sirens movie, I mean, and also I, I would ex- I really want a Fox Warner Brothers merger because they're the same they're the same entities. Doctor no, Doom wait, gets a solo what, movie. What, what, what third level of hell are you trying to set here? A Fox? <laughs> no, what I mean, they might, well, they might as well merge. I mean, I mean, this is my alternate history pitch. Fox oh, and DC might as well just merge because they're, they're the same company. If, if whoever is is considering letting go, uh, first of all, uh, you could predict this stuff. D- DC's over reliance on Batman is a problem. Yeah, Batman is the reason why Man of Steel is a little wonky. I I didn't dislike Man of Steel. Uh, it could have been a better movie. If, and I've said this ad nauseum. Just the the, the uh, Dragon Ball Z level of violence and destruction in Man of Steel 
and the and the oh, killing. Oh, you know my favorite part. My favorite part was when Kevin Costner told his son that he should have let those kids in the bus drown. I know. Yeah, I, yeah, I love that part. Oh, I but, love but, that part. Ugh. But wait, and I, wait for weeks, and I, for months. I was called a DC hater when when I pointed this stuff out, and 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 folks were like. Oh, see, you see, you just have a hate for for this. I'm I'm telling folks, listen, you're getting Clark Kent wrong. If you get Clark Kent wrong, if you got Clark Kent wrong, then how can Superman be right? You know, look, look, I'm loving that people are now coming around to my side uh, all these months and, and things later, but guess what? I'm not getting any mea culpas from people here that were jumping on me. And for further proof of that, hey, 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 DC fans, Warner Brother fans, you know how you were talking about The Rock and the Shazam movie? Oh, no, yep. How, how did this week work out for you? <clears throat> Rocky, you know, Dow, everyone, everyone knows, Dow, that you love Superman. You must, you must not be talking about the staff here and the callers here. That must be what you blog about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. screen against that brick wall, right? Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but but even even with Batman, this you know uh, the irony is, and we have to be kind of respectful of it, is that I was angry about Batfleck when I first heard the announcement that he was going to get that gig. We were hearkening back to what 2003 when he did Daredevil. We were going back there, and and you know now we have to kind of eat eat crow on that. And uh, I thought that his physical prowess, uh, I mean, there were problems with, you know, his killing and certain things going on. But for the most part, that's the Batman we always wanted to see physically. Uh, now, if, we, if we're being told by Reeves, I think, Matt Reeves, that if this, ever, if this Batman movie ever comes to fruition, that we're going to see a thinking Batman. So if you have the physical prowess matched in with the, the kind of Sherlock Holmesian mind going on, you have a perfect Batman. But for whatever reason, uh, they, they now they want to scrap. They want to scrap all that. He he actually got over the hump of 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 all that um, disdain for him having the role. Now you actually have the geeks on your side, and the suits are coming in, and they're just going to do what they're going to do anyway. I mean, they just can't. You got to win they, with Wonder Woman. Yeah, they can't help themselves. You you have everybody on your side. With with the Affleck thing, remember, remember, and you said it. Hey, you got me to admit that he wasn't half bad in the role. He pulls off this version of Batman. All right, let's see how you grow it. And then what? What did we hear immediately after that? What was it? Two months later, three months later. Well, evidently, Affleck has problems, and uh, and we're like, what? Why does Warner Brothers want to continuously shoot themselves in the foot? See, from from me, it completely taint it'll completely taint the Justice League experience because I know I'm looking at something transitory. It's like why would, why are you making me invest in Affleck as Batman, which I ate crow just like everyone else, and you're making me sit through this. Which is probably going to be a god awful movie, but I'm going to watch it. But not only will it I'm probably back. be god awful, <laughs> but you, you you're gonna, you're making me invest in Ben Affleck again, knowing. That he's going to be leaving. I mean, why not? Why reveal that prior to the Justice League coming out? So, the stakes don't matter anymore. You know what I mean? It's like well, this is this is already old hat. 
I know there's something new coming down the pike. I want to see what's new. Give me the new Wonder Woman movie. Let's just call it a day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> All right, and, and you know I mentioned this before. Uh, apologies for our, di- our technical difficulties. I got to get a, a new mic, obviously. Uh, Doctor Doom, Fox. I mean, this is Fox literally <sighs> taking defecation oh, turns on defecating God. on his audience. Like you can't even get a Fantastic Four film on the ground. <laughs> And you, you like to believe that Dr. Doom doesn't exist, really. So now you want to go into Dr. Doom. It, it, it's, it's equally absurd. I mean, literally, there's no distinction between Fox and, and Warner Brothers. So why, why a Dr. Doom? And how would you have a Dr. Doom film without an FF? Like, how does that work? Why do, why do we need a Dr. Doom film? We it don't. can't be true. We don't. Why do we need a Venom film? We don't. We don't need that without, without Spider-Man. Don't need well, it. Who are you without Spider-Man? Who is Victor Von Doom without the Fantastic Four? What are they doing? <laughs> what is this? Look, Doom is Hayden Christensen. Yeah, we we, we <laughs> don't know what playbook they're running. Wait, wait, we do know what playbook they're running. We can do this without Marvel. Marvel ain't God. We got this. We got plenty of good characters. Okay. Okay, are you getting any of the Marvel writers on your staff to do these films? No, we're going to do it like Hollywood. Click. Hello? 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 <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's just, in terms of uh, an oversaturation point, please believe that it is possible. Please believe that there is going to be a point where there's a gluttony. It's just too damn much. And honestly, for me, I'm kind of already there. I already, I just messaged you guys just saying, like, you know, I really have zero, zero interest in all of the young adult TV spinoffs of uh, Marvel and Marvel Fox. I don't have any interest at all in seeing the gifted runaways, Squirrel Girl, Cloak and Dagger, I have zero interest. I don't care. I don't care about Black Cat Silver Sable. And I have only a modicum of inclination to see what's up with Gotham City Sirens. And at least those are characters that I recognize. It's, It's just getting to be ridiculous now. Let's let's move forward a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of content out there. In Humans trailer part two, uh, I think Q sent this to me, and I was able to look at it a couple of times. I have to confess that I'm not as disturbed by the second trailer versus the first trailer. And I, I had always thought that if they're going to do this, which I, I think is somewhat unique in the sense that it's going to be a TV series, but the first two episodes are going to be available courtesy of IMAX theaters. Uh, if you're going to show, even if, it's, even if it's a TV show, if you're going to do it in a movie theater, it's going to feel like a movie. And I felt that uh, the look of it and some of what's the fleshing out of the characters from the trailer seemed to be a bit more movie-ready, uh, a bit more. But I still don't know what to think about it. I know a lot of folks are unfamiliar with the Inhumans. Uh, Daryl and myself, you know, the folks that are really close to the cup with the, with the culture, I know fully of what I'm looking at. It's, you know, I heard some people who were commenting on Lockjaw. They have no concept of Lockjaw. All they see is this oversized bulldog disappearing. They don't understand the whole mythology of Lockjaw. So um, 
I'm going to pass the mic to Daryl. So what are your thoughts about the second trailer, which appears to flesh out things a bit more? I wish the second trailer was the first trailer. <laughs> but, again, it, it has its problems. I mean, the Medusa thing, you've had all this time to get this thing right. You know, it still looks wonky to me. But the thing, the the things that that I thought would be right look to be right. I thought, hey, Lockjaw could save this thing, and yeah, Lockjaw could save this thing. The dude playing Maximus, almost exactly what I have him sounding like in my head when I read the books. That that that's his manipulation, and that's his latent craziness right in there, and. And I gotta say, even though he doesn't have the the tuning fork in his head, the actor playing Black Bolt, that uh, that stone expression, that's almost perfect. Now my thing is, was the dude in green supposed to be Triton? Yeah, I thought is, about that. Yeah. 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 If, if he is, he's supposed to be a skilled fighter. Remember, he's one of the dudes that trained Namor. All right. That's something people forget. Triton from the Inhumans trained Namor how to fight. I did not know that. So, so, so that's one. I have. I still. Uh, I got a blip. Uh, a blip. A uh, blip. A brief look at Karnak in action. That didn't look half bad. I. Got, but again, that's one you got to prolong there. It still looks like. Okay, you're gonna put this on IMAX in the big screen. You gotta come with it. Sure, the backgrounds look okay, but in the back of my mind, I have this is the dude that did Iron Fist. Yep. <laughs> so, so I wow. got a, a big hill to climb when it comes to me. Back to you after this. Can you know something You know something else, Daryl, that, that bothers me, and this is a game to the mythology. Uh, just like we're, just like Black Panther works, at least from what we see, works because we're accepting that this was a hidden society on Earth. The early iteration of the Inhumans were that they were located somewhere in the Himalayas. That this was, they were human beings, but they were a different offset of human beings, and that they had this hidden, mysterious culture, not that dissimilar from Wakanda in a sense. But to have them just on the moon willy-nilly, but you just can't. There's a whole explanation as to why they're on the moon. So, so we, we, they're going to bypass all of that, and they're just going to be they're just going to be on the moon with no explanation, and then beam down on Earth for some reason. Well, they're going to have lockjaw for that. But you know, we we use uh, the blue area as a colloquialism on our show, and I have to always explain why I say, "Oh, we're having a blue area moment, a blue area segment." But to have the show start off with that. As opposed to having them in the Himalaya, especially when, since um, you saw Shield give the impression that these were in, they were on Earth, now they're on the moon. I mean, it, 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 is it possible that they will do a flashback where they explain that the Fantastic Four played a huge part oh, okay. in getting into the moon, and so then they will introduce <laughs> they will introduce okay. the Fantastic Four in an actual Good property. Stop it. Good luck with Stop that. It. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's the problem. That's that's. But these these executives can give two craps about that. that that's they, they the whole thing. The, the, the lack of 
I mean, you, you had a you had a you had a reprieve with the Watchers uh, and Stan Lee and the Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy. You had a reprieve, but for the most part, these these characters work into they they, they need each other for certain storylines to actually make sense. And without the FF, without Silver Surfer, uh, without really fleshing out the Kree, all that stuff, and we're just gonna have they, oh they just on the moon like that just that, that's like an everyday occurrence. <laughs> no. That's why that's what the that's sticking it in my craw. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. The problem with this, it looks corny, man. It looks corny, man. Let's call it spade a spade. That's that's it. it. There's no need to fish and try to try to you know bring it up. It looks corny, man. And when corny is not necessarily, it sometimes it works. If that's what you're supposed to be doing, it might not work for general audience. We could talk about missiles all day long. You know, it's supposed to do this, supposed to do that, it's supposed to do this. You know, it looks corny, man. That's it. It just looks corny. Like, look at this, turn it off. You know, that's what it looks like. Listen, and- M- M- Medusa, Medusa needs to go to a Dominican hairstylist. That's the end of the conversation. Wow. <laughs> hey, hey, did <laughs> the impossible. He took, he took yeah, the Santa from Smallville. Yep. And has made her look like a plain Jane. Serena Swan, I so apologize for what they did to your hair. I, 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 I'm, I'm sorry. Hey, I'm thank, you. thank you. I'm thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But, yes. but those edges, though. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you this. And it also looks like they were rushing. You could feel the rush in what they display. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I you yeah. feel it. You feel it. We gotta get this out. We gotta get in a deadline, deadline, deadline. You can feel it, man. So you it looks corny and it feels rushed. Nothing in there feels natural. People say natural, you're dealing with inhumans and humans don't exist. No, it's supposed to feel natural. It don't feel natural. That's you know, whatever, man. Marvel is a victim Marvel is a victim and I said it before, Marvel is a victim of its own success. That even with Sharon Carter Sharon Carter had such a, a lush 19, uh, oh, 1950s. Good. Good, I mean, it was on point. I was surprised yeah. that it was it was looked as good as it did for ABC television. Yeah. And now and now we go, you're going to go from that to this hunk of of, of dung. I, come on. Wow. I mean, it, it, I, I, can I just say I think you guys are. Being a little harsh on the show. Those edges, Q. Those edges. I have some complaints, but I'm willing to give the show a chance. Here, here's my nitpick. I mean, you're going to give it a chance, you know? For sure. Well, Go ahead, Q. Go ahead. It's not like you've already gone judge, jury, and execution. Or you've already done judge, yeah. dread. But. No, no. I did judge and jury. I didn't execute yet, though. <laughs> okay, okay. But here's what I'm saying. I, I, got, I, I got something else to say also. Get Keep this. In 1966, uh, the original series of Star Trek did a better job of transport transportation than Lockjaw. That whole I gotta agree with you on that. That that effect looks kind of cheesy. I I can I can go down to my office and turn on After Effects and do that. Yeah, cool. but it's corny. <laughs> but, but here's my thing. Hasn't the Flash? Uh, when the Flash first came out on TV, I had to get used to that costume. He looked lanky, gangly. It, it looked wrinkled, and the headgear was bulky. I'm used to it now, right? It looks fine now. So let me ask you this question. What is the problem with headgear in, in these universes? Why can't uh, uh, Kar- Karnak 
have the headgear that he typically wears in the comics. Why can't Black Bolt have the headgear? Just go to the guys who designed the Flash's costume and put that tuning fork on his head and have him wear the cowl. Why, why, why no, are they getting rid of well, that? Listen, that's what I want to see. I mean, because there's no real purpose. Bolt. Yeah. Say again? Masks aren't marketable. <laughs> They'll tell you, but the mask isn't marketable. We can't, we can't, we can't market the the actor if they're in the mask. That's part. We of don't the know these actors. I don't give a damn. <laughs> Who are these actors? I mean, in reality, something here. doesn't translate well between comic books and reality. And I think that's something that I think in that that is my nitpick with a lot of us, some some fans, is that they want they want what's in the comic on the screen. And something does not translate. It does not translate well at all. And that's just the yeah. reality. How's, of how's the, that the case here? If the Flash, told, if, if if Grant, what's his name? Dustin Grant, what's his name? Yeah, Grant Still Dustin. Corey Dustin. Dustin. I like okay. If he, can, if he can wear that hood and, and pull it off, why can't you give me off. Black Bolt in that column with the tuna fork? He why can't Connick wear his hood? If you remember the Inhumans from the beginning, even even uh, Medusa wore a mask. Like what, she did. People had their own. These people had their own culture, huh? Yes, yeah, so these people had their own. Why? Why? What were they hiding from? They don't need to have a secret identity. I mean, it's parts. There's parts of it that is, that's absurd. That, yeah, that, that's uh, that's Jack. That's Jack Kirby drinking a little bit too much whiskey when he's drawing this stuff. Wow! Like, wow! I love Jack. I love Jack Kirby, but the the premise of those heroes needing. I mean, they, 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 you know, come on. It, it doesn't make it. It doesn't translate well for for their purposes. They don't need to have a secret identity. They're not. They're not Spider Man. They're, they're not Daredevil. Exactly. They're royal. I think it, it wouldn't work. Yeah. yeah we now got. I, we I, got I, the uh, the jagged the jagged uh, insignia. I get it. That's enough for me. He's wearing black. He's called Black Bolt. I mean, his name is what's his name? Uh, uh, what's his full name, Daryl? Which is absurd. Uh, yeah. Blackguard Boltagun. Okay. That's horrible. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Does not translate. <laughs> but, I, but I do think and that, from what Deba was saying earlier about, you know, having them in the Himalayas, and I mean, I think that doesn't make more sense, but I know they did that already with Asia Shield, because isn't, isn't that where they were, where um, Sky's, uh, Daisy's mom was at? Wasn't they in the Himalayas? Like some hidden yeah. area of the Himalayas originally? For that, for that second season of uh, Shield? See, the, the, See, the way I'm looking at it, the way I'm looking at it, I'm using comic comic knowledge here, something they hate, but I can excuse it away, all right? Long ago, they were on Earth, all right? The, the faction that became the Royals went up, and the Earth faction was there, Baja Macacol, what, with the, 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 like the Amazons, yeah. where you had the Amazons, the Greek Amazons, and you had the Amazons that were in the Amazon. Well, that that broke away. You know, I'm, I, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it again, but that's the way I look at it. All right, you have an inhuman faction up in space, and an inhuman a- a faction on Earth. The inhuman faction on Earth, we already seen what's happened. Okay, uh, the ones in space don't know what what happened on Earth, and. For this series, they're going to find out, and then they're going to make excursions to Earth. But how do they get okay, up there? I, excursions to Earth. Okay, I, I hope I hope that I hope that they fill this in like you filled it in. 
this is wishful. This is wishful thinking. Yes, that's that's the problem. Is that we listen? One of the main problems with with even Marvel sometimes is that they they the suits or whatever they intervene with what has already been written and figured out, and then what happens is they end up slowly going back to what was already written. They already they 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 uh, they negate what's already on paper. And then eventually they slowly go back to what's already been written. If all they had to do was just just follow the script. But I don't, you know, hey, it's like Joel. Everybody has a little Joel Schumacher in them. That's it. <laughs> no, I don't want to see nipples on anybody's suit, so I'm good. There okay. we go. But let me ask you this, guys. How, a show of hands. We all realize that they're pronouncing their their homeland incorrectly, right? That like Attila the Hun. It's supposed to be pronounced Attilan. No, Adelan. That's what they're saying. I'm calling bull feces. Well, no, nah, that's been pretty well established, though. Since when? I mean, I mean, I, listen. When I was when I was growing up reading that, I never knew it was pronounced that way. Okay, same thing with Molnir. You know, I said Mojoner when I was a kid. Yeah, you, you, you learn, but they 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 have corrected that. It's Adelan. When I I, I, mean, I, I must have missed that memo. No, I mean, Daryl, you can, you know, that's, at least the last couple of years, I I have been corrected that that's the way it's been, that's how it's pronounced, Adelaide. Daryl, Daryl, I yeah, defer to you. you know what, the, uh, it's been listed twice in the Marvel Universe handbook, it's been listed twice, and literally both creations were used. The one that D-Bert's been using was in the original one in, what was it, 83, 84? And then in the one in 87 is literally the one that Q-Storm's been using. So both pronunciations are right, according to me, because both of them are canon. Marvel wow. to the Marvel. One of them sounds like Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move, for, let's move forward. There's still a lot more stuff coming out of San Diego, San Diego Comic-Con. Pardon me. Um, we saw – well, let me, let me say a couple of things. I, I didn't mention this. Uh, I was deeply – Affected by Joan Lee's passing, we all we all are very protective of of uh, Stan Lee. He's the father of all this stuff, and he's an advanced age, and he's still, um, if you believe in the theory of God, God bless him. He's still with us, still vibrant, still uh, invested. I think that in my in my mind's eye, I really believe that what's keeping him alive is that he's finally seeing all this work come to fruition. I think he he's always wanting to be a screenwriter. And indirectly, he is a screenwriter. Uh, that's the funny thing is that that these these comic books are so well written uh, that now he's seeing all of this. Like just, yeah, he's got to stick around to see. I mean, he thought about Black Panther and Wakanda in 1966, and now we're, he's got to live to see the film. That, that's my mind anyway. So anyway, uh, his wife passes, Joan Lee. Uh, we were led to believe she she was 93, but she was of British and American extraction. And her British records say that she actually was 95. So, I mean, that's a good run. I hate to see anyone pass on, no, no matter what their age is. But uh, I, I have a certain affection for Joan Lee because of the mythology of the behind-the-scenes of Marvel Comics. The way the myth goes, I liken, to, I liken Joan Lee to, to Gaia, and I think Daryl uh, knows what I'm talking about. Gaia is the Mother Earth in you know Greek mythology, as in Marvel mythology, and uh, she stores Mom in Marvel mythology, and uh, I think she's I think Joan Lee is Gaia, because 
the way Stan Lee tells the story is that he wanted to get out of the comic book business. And he was like, I'm out of this. His wife, ever supportive, said, okay, you can get out of it, but if you're going to do a couple of stories, then do the stories you really want to do. So he said, F it. I'm going to do what I really want to do. When he did that, that really gave birth to the Marvel Comics universe that we all know and love right now. When he did Spider-Man, this, it, it, it was a deconstruction of – that's why Marvel is not like DC. Marvel was the deconstruction of DC characters. So when you have a, a, a Spider-Man who was a teenage kid, he wasn't a sidekick. That was a deconstruction unto itself. Most uh, teenage heroes, they were the protege to the yeah. main guy. He was the main guy. He's the main guy. He, he was having issues with uh, even, hell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with this piece that he wrote for uh, The Hollywood Reporter that uh, Claire so thankfully gave us. Um, he, he was a teenager. The great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who I suspect was Al, Al, uh, Lou Alcindor at the time, yep. he, he was able to, 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 to see and, and, and to um, live through that, that story because he was about the age <laughs> – of of Peter Parker and it, the whole thing of Peter Parker, the costuming, the way it was written. He was a teenager. All this angst, all these problems, all these heroes thereafter had problems. That was because Joan Lee gave her husband the green light to say, "Do the comics you really want to do versus what they expect you to do." That gave birth to the Marvel Universe. So that's why I have a special a special place in my heart for Joan Lee. I just wanted to throw that out there. That I don't think enough has been actually said about her contribution to the Marvel Universe. This, this doesn't get any better than that. When you you hear the, the behind the scenes stories on some of this stuff, so I, I just wanted to put that out there just briefly. Um, they were married. Okay. They were married for sixty nine years. Yeah. 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 I mean that's uh, you know I, I want Stan Lee to live forever. <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> I, I think. You know, um, I just, I, you know, I'm going to, when Prince died, everyone knew I had a, I had a problem with that. Stan Lee goes, I don't care, how, I don't care if a man's 110, I'm going to have a problem. That's just the way it is. I say that forthrightly. All right, um, more stuff coming out of Comic-Con. We saw the Defenders trailer, um, another Defenders trailer. Uh, yeah. Black Panther animated. Black, yeah, listen, we know that was going to happen. But I'm, I'm happy it is going to happen. There's going to be another Black Panther animated series. I think that really? was just mentioned like a couple, a couple of hours ago. But uh, let's talk about the, the Defenders, that trailer. Um, what were your impressions of the second trailer? And that it might be Iron Fist-centric. <laughs> first of all, who first? Uh, let's, go, let's go to uh, Q-Storm. I actually have not seen this trailer. But you've already thanked it by saying it's Iron Fist heavy. Well, that's what they're saying. <laughs> that's what they're that's what they're saying. Let me ask you: Does this guy still like he has a a palm? Or I mean, does he look the same? No, I cut his hair a bit. Yo, you you see the same memes online that we have? You know, he, he's in uh, the best one I've seen is the elevator scene. Where where like someone made a meme. All right, I I could I could I could uh, 
I could punch true stuff. It's Jessica Jones talk. I could punch true stuff. He has unbreakable skin. He has uh, senses. Well, uh, to make a while his eyes are covered, and you have a fist that glows. <laughs> I, I, I went. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> I, I don't. It's something about the way he delivers the line. I am the immortal Iron Fist. that bothers me. It doesn't come off believable. It's, it's like a. They, I don't know. It, listen, we we we, we spoke about this before. That it's it's a it's Tarzan with an iron fist and it, it, it's it's a problem. See the it's problem, a problem. Yo, the problem with the line is you literally did nothing during his series to make you believe that he's iron fist. Correct. Correct. All right. Absolutely. Every other actor looked apart in that series, whether you like it or hate it. When they had the fight scene. Every other actor looked more powerful than him. Hell, you had him actually go up against the actor that a lot of us wanted to be in the role, Louis Tan. You had him go up against the actor we wanted in the role. You know, the, a lot of us that were on the Asian-American Iron Fist thing. And, and uh, yo, Louis Tan, that looked natural. Yep. Then, Tan um, schooled him. You know, so I'm just... See... see when you give a line like that, all I'm saying for defenders is, hey, hey, a lot of guys are going to be carried a lot of weight, and thank God we got Sigourney Weaver in this thing, and Electra and Iron Fist, good luck. Just good luck. Also, the Punisher, uh, I think there was a tail-end trailer for him as well, and I, I don't know if he's going to be making an appearance in the defenders. I think they're, they're hinting at that in some way. I mean, there's a lot of heavyweight characterization, a lot of heavyweight actors, and the one kind of fallback to me is this cat that's doing uh, Iron Fist. He's the only one that's kind of like, eh, man. <laughs> that's, the, that's the only part. It has a chance to be excellent except for him. Yep. I mean, that's just what it is. There. You know, uh, I mean, I, I'll, I'll even say this much. Even the Even the cartoon voice actor who does the teenage Iron Fist is more believable than this dude. Because that character, yeah. the way he plays him, he plays him as this guy that in his personality is this, um, he's like a flower child. And he isn't playing really like a, I mean, you, you have to embrace the whole flower child aesthetic. He, he's just kind of, you know, I'm in control, uh, you know, uh, let, it, let it be, peace and love. You've got to play that kind of, you've got to play it that kind of way. And he's not really – he's playing it like, like, a, um, like a novice and someone who is just happy to be there. You've you, you got to play, so play it more like I'm a, I'm a kind of a surfer dude, relaxed, nothing really bothers me, I'm in control. But just delivering the line of, hey, I'm the immortal Iron Fist, that's my power. I mean, come on, dude. Really? No. He's not a good actor. I mean, he was on Game of Thrones. He played Sir Lords on Game of Thrones, and I mean, he's pretty forgettable. I mean, the last two seasons he was on the show, he was he was in prison the whole time, whimpering. So I mean, he's not he's not good. He's not. He played good. the he played the gay the gay yeah. role guy, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. The knight was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just what trying to identify the guy. I'm not making a comment here. I'm just trying to identify the guy. I'm not saying anything guy. either. No, no, no. I mean, but it's it, all right. It, 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 well, yes, he 
yeah, that's who he played. He's a night of flowers. But it was forgettable. It wasn't like something <laughs> that really kind of, you know, memorable about it. There's nothing memorable about the character. I'll put it like that. So it, I, like, he was poorly cast. It's as simple as that. He was poor, poor casting. It's Scott Buck. Scott Buck is, was bucking it up. <laughs> he bucked up. it up. He's bucking up. He's bucking up the humans. It's all, it's all there. It's all him. He's the one seeking this shit. He's the, he's the showrunner. He's seeking the shit. I'm oh, right. oh, you know, another passing we didn't mention, George Romero. Uh, yeah. Wow. That's another one. Did not want to die. <laughs> Did and not John want Hurt to today. die. Yeah, John Hurd, yeah. Uh, and Martin Landau. Uh, yeah. That was before Star Trek for me. Before Star Trek, that was Space 1999. Yeah, well, oof. <laughs> I try re- I try revisiting. It's on YouTube. I try. It's a. It, I appreciated it because uh, it kind of flowed with the whole space exploration thing, but it's no Star Trek. But Barbara Bain, his wife, uh, it's interesting. You know, it's, it's part of it's part of sci-fi history. But um, he was a beast of an actor. You know, we saw him come back in f- full throttle in '94 with Johnny Depp. Um, ah, what was it? The, the name of the Edward. Edward. Edward Wright, Edward, um, phenomenal actor. So it's it's uh, regrettable, you know. But he well, had a good run good too. Eighty nine. I just want to say as good as he was in Edward, and I tweeted this out. If you want to see some acting, rent or get a hold of Woody Allen's Crimes and Misdemeanors. It was around that came out in the early nineties. I want to say. Mm-hmm. I, I mean that movie had me. I was held to the screen from the minute he he walked on the set. Amazing. This, this no, these, these, the the powerhouses are leaving us, that's for sure. Yeah, this has not been a good week. And I'm going to throw in a personal one. I know a lot of people will laugh, but to Chester Bennington, you know what? Uh, I'm sorry, bro. Uh, yo, your music helped me through a lot. And I, this is no me- one's <laughs> laughing, honey. Yeah, no this, one is laughing. No. When yeah, I this, heard, I that broke my heart. I mean, sorry, I, grew you, I grew up. I grew up on Lincoln Park. That, oh, that, and, oh, oh, me too, man. Yeah, and, me and too. that's it's made so much more like powerful and sorrowful that the fact that a couple months ago he sang at Chris Cornell's funeral. So yeah. you know that 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 freaking uh, uh, that was I lose Romero, and the last thing I remember Romero saying was how much kudos he gave the Korean film unit that did Train to Busan. He gave him. He went like. You know what? They're ready to take the mantle now because this was great. Oh my God! That that got (laughs) that got me. I was like, Yo, he literally just passed the mantle before he died. That hey hey, train. Listen, I I don't say this lightly. Train to Busan is the best movie I've seen this year thus far. Wow, I I gotta see it. I gotta watch it. Yo, I I mean that, and, and you guys have listened to the show, and you know how much I hate the fast-moving zombie type thing. <laughs> Trey Tabuzad made it realistic. Yes. It actually put the fear of, and I made the mistake of looking at it in a dark room. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> after after Trey Tabuzad was over, I had to put on all the lights. <laughs> and I had to check and make sure every door was closed and no strange sounds were coming outside my room. The, the, so, I was say, 
There's a, there, are, there are literally, except for one scene, there are no flaws in that movie. Character development, plotting, action set pieces, story, flawless. So it, it, Listen, I think there's also, isn't there a prequel to Train to Busan? Yes, there's uh, an animated prequel, thing? yes. Yes. Soul Station? Yeah, yes. how was that? I haven't had a chance to see it, but I, 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 you just reminded me i got to put it on my to-do list. Yeah, it, it's okay. It's it's made by some of the guys that do the the animated Resident Evil stuff. That that uh, they got some of the writers for that on that, and and it shows. Cause hey, hey, you guys know I love the crap that was in the movie theaters, but the Resident Evil like CGI stuff has been quality, and they just released Vendetta too. I just caught up to that, and and but it's getting off the point a little bit. It just goes to show, up until the end, Romero was still there. He was still there. He was still a fan. He was still, he wasn't a recluse. He wasn't angry at the world. And Lord knows what the movie companies did to him after Night of the Living Dead. He easily said F it to everybody and said, hey, I helped save your damn movie house, and you're going to try to steal my properties away from me. You know, he could have easily said that, but he stayed around. And the one, well, you, you know, and the one we forget, Creep Show. Oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah, man. Wow, I forgot about that one. He did Creep well, you know, Show. We also got to give props to Romero because you know, with his first property, he had a black male lead, not in a stereotypical fashion. And again, yep. this is nineteen. This is nineteen sixty-eight. And that that depiction, that role, still holds up as far as like level of importance and, and cadence, cadence, and the way that actor played the role. You would you would be hard pressed to find something like that in 2017. The way You're that not it lying. I just say real quickly. I just saw Night in the Living Dead for the first time maybe three years ago. I'm ashamed to say that. I watched that and I'm like, you could put this out today. You yeah. can put this out today. This, this predate all the reality stuff that you see, all the like commercials that they put in RoboCop, and made, made, kind of made it realistic, and all of that technique you see, and all these ads you see, like Blade Runner and these dystopian. That all came from that movie. That all well, you know came from that movie. You know something? I, I hope because you say something very interesting. The way that Night of the Living Dead was actually filmed, it was black and white. And you know how black and white films kind of have that eerie appearance anyway. Uh, if you if you were to have that film, and I, I hope they would probably do something like that anyway, uh, the Alamo Draft House. Now that that's a franchise, and we have one in downtown Brooklyn, I would suspect that dra- uh, Draft House that they're supposed to actually show films like that. I would want to I would want to see that film the way it is. I mean, 1968. Put it out there now in a in a modern context, modern theater to really give it. I mean, Darryl, wouldn't they? Don't they do that kind of stuff at at Alamo anyway? Oh yeah, that movie does hold up. Yeah, as as you say that, did you hear about what their latest thing is? I I forget one of their one of their one of their locations is near a big body of water, and they mm. they're giving everybody inflatable freaking floating devices for their showing of Jaws. Wow! Wow! <laughs> Imagine being out on the water. During a nighttime showing, on an inflatable, watching Jaws. Okay, God that's help next me level. I drown. I'll say that's that right meta. now. That's meta. 
What's the name of that theater where they have Blog Fest? Uh, It's in Pennsylvania somewhere. I know that. Where's it? In Pennsylvania. That's where I am. Harry Knowles of Ain't It It Cool, Ain't It Cool News. You have to give that guy props because he's the the first one that really brought out, you know, because he's in, in Texas, if I'm not mistaken, that he kind of brought out the whole Animal Draft House thing and, it, and, and the premise of that movie theater chain, um, that they were really for movie lovers, that they would show, they would have these, ki- these kitschy kind of movies, that it's a perfect place. And now uh, I think Knowles probably should get some credit that now it's kind of exploded where now other regions, thankfully downtown Brooklyn, that we, we get a chance to kind of have that feeling. And they have these kind of movie nights like the one that Daryl was talking about. So uh, I think we're at, we're at a good place, but I, I would love to see, especially since Romero was such an um, iconic figure, that they should, have, they should have something to honor him. So uh, I think it's pretty cool. It's a cool idea. Um, pushing forward, Daryl, what, what about, is there a DC versus Marvel thing at SDCC with their presentations? Because, you know, we saw that, they, there's, that there's the, um, the JL, JL trailer. But then I'm hearing that the Infinity Wars trailer was off the chain as well. What's going on hey, with that? Hey, that, everybody, t- everybody take up sides in the gang war. That's what we're <laughs> having right now. You, it, it, you can't be right down the middle. Choose your side. But, but that's the thing with both companies, all right? You want to do this, you better deliver, all right? And the problem with Warner Brothers is they haven't always delivered. You, It's great to to release the news out there and say we're going to do this and we're going to have this all together and look, this is our plan and then uh, I brought up the Shazam thing when I saw that you, you would think hey, Daryl's been getting it for so long Daryl would be happy because my hopes have been up on this for a long time that's where uh, John brought it up and I got to give him credit when Will Smith said a couple of years ago, you know what? I really want to do uh, something fantasy-like for my, my, my project. And then they just came out with the Bright trailer and stuff. I oh. just went, you see, whether you like it or hate it, Will Smith said a couple of years ago he wanted to do it. It was on his bucket list as a creator. He wanted to do something like this, and he actually did it. All right? The, to Marvel and DC, you get us blurred geeks, nerds up for these projects, follow through and get it done. For the love of God, stop stringing along your audience. Back to you, Afro Nerd. Afro Nerd? We lose them. Uh oh. Maybe it's his mic. <laughs> hey, I, think he, 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 I think he heard Bright Trailer and took off. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I saw okay, that trailer. So I don't know. I don't even know what to say about that bright trailer. Uh, I mean, a mortgage, mortgage payment, I guess. I don't know. Look, look, look. I, I, I liked it in the fact it gave me a lot of the Alien Nation vibe from when it was on Fox. That's what it reminded me of, too. And I see some yeah, of me the, too. Like, like the fairy scene in, in Compton, that, that, that one troubled me. That was like, really? Really? Yeah, really, we're doing this type of joke. But a lot of stuff with the orcs, 
I'm gonna work on the police force type like that. I I I I gotta admit, I was feeling that a little bit. I gotta see how they flesh it out though, because you you yeah. gotta do this for a whole movie. You gotta make this interesting. Mm-hmm. It reminds me so much of Shadowrun. Have you guys ever played that? Shadowrun. Oh, the yeah. PC game. Yeah. It's also a tabletop game where it's kind of like Dungeons and Dragons, but it's like a modern setting where, you know, you have people that are dragons and orcs and all that stuff. It's actually very much like Bright. Hmm. Maybe get the idea from there. It's possible. Well, hey, uh, comic-wise, to me, it's like top ten. The Alan Moore, Gene Ha book, where where you had uh, it was uh, it's a city that has a lot of superheroics has a lot of technology, it has a lot of sorcery. Again, I could also put Astral City like this, too, where you have all of these elements converging on the same city. The, uh, a lot of the properties we look at, like Full Metal Alchemist, you know, it was either one or the other. You either have the high tech or you have the full-blown sorcery. It, yeah. It's not a combination of both. This yeah. thing looks like it's a combination of both. And I'm like, that's what, you that's what troubles me. Control. Yeah, you go like you got. That's what troubles it. me because, you know, for me, when you said alienation, I was like right there with you. Hell yes, hell yes. I I could see that, and of course, who doesn't love an interesting kind of sci-fi, you know, adventure buddy cop, you know, whatever. Well, yeah, let's give it a try. It's not it's not easy to make it work. Obviously, alienation, Fox. You know, almost human Fox. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's Fox is the first one. Fox, because, you know, unlike the other networks, Fox is the first to try these materials, you know, with. And I, I actually really liked Almost Human. And Almost Human, even though it only lasted for one season, it actually has done very well internationally in terms of people. Yes. People in the UK really dug that show. So my point is is that Fox is the first to try this stuff out, <clears throat> Firefly. Yeah. But they are also the, the first to kill it. Yeah. yeah they are the first to destroy the, it and not even give it a chance. But that's Dondo. the thing about this. It's not Fox. Blight's going to be Netflix. That's why I'm confused, though. I just, you know, when I watched it, I was just like, I don't understand what I'm looking at here. I mean, it definitely feels David Ayer-esque. In terms of, if you guys have seen End of Watch, you know you know his style. We, we, I mean, this to me looks like some very bizarro hybrid of End of Watch and Suicide Squad. It's just like I'm looking at it. You're like, this is very urban. It's very, you know, the mean streets of East LA. And now you got these creatures, and I'm like, what am I looking at? Like, I feel like this is some interesting student film idea that, you know, I just, I, I don't really know what exactly it's trying to say. Because on well, the one hand, the satire is obvious. The satire for a lot of filmmakers, when they try to get political, is about accepting each other's differences and looking past the, the, you know, the skin and, and knowing that we're all the same deep down, blah, blah, blah. But now that you're putting in a friggin' magic wand, literally they say magic wand that grants
all your wishes? Like what? What is this? What is this? What is this? Well, according to Will Smith, it's a merging of, I think he said End of Watch and Lord of the Rings. And I'm like, you need to fall back. <laughs> really? Oh boy! Well, oh, you boy. gotta admit it's an expensive. It's, if chiming on what Claire just said, it's an expensive student film because it's like ninety million dollar deal that he was able to garner for this film at Netflix. So it's some money behind this film for a Netflix film, ninety million. So Will Smith, you know, he's still Big Willie. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, but you know what? Netflix it's funny film. because when they were they were talking so much smack about the studio system, right? And they did it in a way that was kind of like on the flip. So while they were saying, yeah, at least with Netflix, you can do your own ish. You can do this. You can do, I can make my movie my way. And so basically he's throwing shade at the studios, perhaps because of a negative uh, reception or, or experience regarding Suicide Squad, or perhaps because, you know, there are other projects that are in the mix that he just kind of felt like this is not the vision that I share because David Ayer, he recently walked away from the Scarface remake. And he walked away after um, Antoine Fuqua was initially supposed to do that. And at first I thought the air was actually a pretty decent choice for this because this version, you know, as we know, you know, um, Tony Montana, you know, Al Pacino, <laughs> an Italian, <laughs> an yeah, Italian well, playing a Cuban, you yeah. know, that movie was obviously based uh, in, in Miami. So the new Scarface is going to be based in L.A., and it's going to have to do with more of the Mexican Cartel, and it's gonna start Diego Luna, and it's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be its own thing. It's gonna be different. So because because David has such a strong tie to to Los Angeles and to the Latin community, I just figured, well, that makes sense. But something happened, creative differences, politics, whatever. So that's why he got all this attitude towards them, and was you know talking. And I was like, hey, let me take a look at this trailer because now I'm curious. But now that I've seen the trailer, I'm just like, I'm sorry, but this looks way too hokey. Way too hokey for me. Hell, I'm not even sure if I'm going to look at the Inhumans. Because I just don't know how I feel about this stuff. It just looks silly. But Actually, I just just realized, I thought, this just popped in my head. I thought Will Smith's next project was going to be um, another sequel to Bad Boys. That's also in the works. (laughs) That's all in, in the, the work. Oh, yeah, okay. Work. Boys, uh. And yes, it's going to be a Bad Boys 3, uh. a.k.a. Bad Boys for Life. Terrible. Nice. Yeah. How much time has actually passed between films? That's that another is, thing. Is. Like, every 20 years they do a film? That sounds Bad about Boys right. Bad Boys 2 was, uh, was, was around 2003. You talking about 15, fourteen going on fifteen years now? Yeah, it, it's that, that's okay. That's and the really first okay. one, and the first one's got to be what at least twenty years old, right? It's, yeah, it was like what ninety. Two thousand three. The first, the first one. Oh, the first one. Ninety-seven. Dang. I, I that's like that's like Chris Tucker wanted no, no, to get back on Friday. Like oh, by the way. Yeah, first one was 95. See, I'm just, I don't even know. I don't even know what to make of that. They, yeah, they're still working on that script. I think Joe Carnahan uh, is working on the script. Originally, he was going to direct, but then he backed out. 
you know how it is in Hollywood. It's all a shuffle. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. That's why it makes me laugh. Y'all say, oh, yeah, Shazam. Shazam is the next movie for DCEU. But we haven't cast it. And The Rock is not going to be in it. I'm just laughing. I'm like, then what is this? What are you telling me? What are you telling me? You, you brought that up. Uh, they, they did have some kind of announcement at SDCC. Some, basically what you just said, but they're going full throttle, I think, after uh, after Aquaman is the Shazam film. And I think what next year is when they're going to start filming. I mean, that's that's kind of where their announcement is on that. Am I correct on that, Daryl? Yeah, yeah. Which, which, yeah, again, because this, right now they have nothing else on the on the, the pipeline. Nothing else is even further along in development in, because of everybody else's schedules. So, yeah, you got Batgirl, but Joss Whedon is still busy with this. Oh, yeah, Gotham City Sirens. Oh, but David Ayer is busy with this. So there's so many different scheduling conflicts that, technically speaking, Shazam is next in line. But there's no script and no actor, and The Rock is not going to be in it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially. So what? Probably like five people working all of Hollywood. It's the same classic problem. We're going to announce it. We're going to generate buzz. But when you're looking for the substance behind the 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 buzz, it's one thing to generate, you know, Twitter hits and web page hits, and oh, we're trending, we're trending, we're trending. And now, it, it, we've been talking about this Shazam movie for what a year. And you I mean, look still, what happened we, to Gambit. How yeah. long is Gambit? been in development hell. It's been talking about it. Kenny T was talking about it at the, the panel for um, Kingsman. He was talking it up again. I mean, technically, Channing is down. He's been down for years. But this is it's a joke now. It's become a joke. And the sad thing is, is that The Flash is now having the same problem. It's lost multiple directors, it's going through multiple script changes. The Batman solo film. Dead. Multiple directors, multiple script changes. Daryl, I got to ask you something though. Speak, since Claire brought up Flash, I saw I saw something on YouTube, one of the YouTube channels that do what we do, and someone alluded to what ha- something happening at uh, Comic Con that gave the impression that uh, from what they're learning of the Flash and, and and what's going on with the what's being disclosed from the Don't WB. Say that word. Don't say that, that word. Well, hold on. Well, they're, they're saying something. They're leading leading people to believe that there is some kind of multiverse at work. There's that word. <laughs> I mean, yes. I, I'm just going by what I'm what's being reported. Yes, the strong indication so, so is flesh that flesh that out a little bit to, to the listening audience. The, what what is the, what are the they strong, talking about? Yeah, the strong indication is DC wants to do Flashpoint again. And not just Flashpoint, but the point where these different universes they have are going to converge. The problem with this is, is for the longest, they've tried to separate them with every blood and cell in their being, trying to separate their world, saying, we got embargoes on these characters. We're going to separate, separate, separate. Okay, which led to... Some parts of their universes, i.e. their animated universe and the, the CW universe, 
those are pretty well defined now. But your 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 movie universe, which is supposedly the way they're going to introduce it, you haven't defined these characters yet. You haven't put the product out yet. And by not involving, and again, I said animated, but we know they're animated as well put together. But I'm looking at the TV. By saying we have nothing to do with the TV and stuff, you've lost the easy route to flesh out your movie universe. And now you have all these characters that people only care about, Batman, Wonder Woman, and to a lesser extent, Superman. You got those characters cared about, but you haven't fleshed out anybody else. And now you want to take on a whole multiverse of these characters? Good luck with this. That, that's beautiful. That, that's lovely. You know, they, they, eh. can we shoot ourselves in the foot anymore? The danger of expanding too fast, too quick, too big is the inability to put out products. And as Claire and me and Q and Black and John and D-Bird and Cap have stated on this show multiple times and today, Warner Brothers movie division has not been following through. So when I'm looking at this panel online and I go, yeah, we're going to use a multiverse thing hoping to build up to a flashpoint, I had I, I had to walk away from the computer or else I would have broken another laptop. Like, these guys just do not get it. Make the quality first and the nerds will come. You boast this stuff ahead of time trying to, oh, we're going to outscoop them. We're going to outscoop them and you don't give the results later. We all look at you fish-eyed. Back to you, Afro Nerd. All right, let's move forward. We've got about 10 minutes remaining. It's still a lot more stuff to discuss. You, you th- threw out there Young Justice 3, the third season. Um, I was extremely excited about that. I mean, as much as I would like to see the Justice League that we all grew up on, uh, well, I shouldn't say grew up, I was already grown, but <laughs> that we all loved uh, in the early aughts. Um, it, since we didn't get that, I think that the, the next best thing, was to hear there's going to be a Young Justice Season 3. Fine. I was under the impression this was going to be a Netflix imprint. In true WB fashion, this is where, <laughs> this, this is where you know that, that, that this is just about greed. This is, this is Gordon Gecko, Deco. This is, this, is, this is his deal. Greed is good, according to DC. That DC has its own streaming service, F Netflix. Now, I had such good feeling about Netflix and how and Netflix was instrumental in this whole thing to begin with. Netflix yep. put out there as yep. long as you as long as the numbers are sufficient, the streaming numbers, this will tell us we can get a season three. It's Netflix that, that threw out the, the, the bullhorn to get this done, to make this hap- happen. After that, DC DC gave them the finger. Now they can do their own streaming service. I don't is this going to be a free thing, Daryl? Are we going to have to pay for this thing? Probably no, we're going to have to pay for it. What's the pay, man? What are we talking about? This, this is Star Trek Discovery and CBS here again. All right? Well, and you know what the true shame of this is? All right? Netflix wasn't behind this from jump. 
This is all of the Young Justice fans who who got on Twitter, got on Facebook, got on Snapchat, said, we can save this series, and they saved this series. Netflix got behind them. Netflix said, yo, because of the overwhelming response to doing this, the only time we saw a response like this was with Luke Cage. We weren't ready for this. But because you're doing it, we'll petition DC to make a, a season three for Netflix. And and Warner Brothers goes, hey, okay, that sounds good. We, we always thought the property was viable, da, da 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 And then months later, they see the fans still like, we can't wait. We can't wait. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. And they go, screw Netflix, pay nine ninety nine for our own streaming service. Well, what else you got on your streaming service? You essentially, you essentially gave in the middle finger to Netflix, but by giving the middle finger to Netflix, you did it to all of these fans that stood behind their dollars, stood behind their love, and got this series back. And you essentially went, well, F you, pay me. What the yeah. hell, Warner Brothers? I don't get it. I'm, I'm kind of out of I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I'm going to see it however I'm going to see it. Um, mm-hmm. The redesigns are interesting. Uh, I have to take note from what Daryl said that, you know, this is the 21st century. We would want to see more folks of color. Uh, I, I, I absolutely love my favorite Batgirl is not Barbara Gordon, as Daryl knows. Um, if we're not seeing her. The, the, no the, Cassandra Cain. Cassandra no Kane. Rocket. No yeah. Bumblebee. No. <laughs> And, and some of these characters were featured. Guardian, I think, also two. was on there. You go like, they do got Tracy 13. And I find it hilarious that we have to explain who Tracy 13 is now. Can you explain that? Yeah. We just go on CBR. On, on Comic Book Resources. I know, I know, I know. But Comic Book Resources, they have a whole article explaining who Tracy 13 is. Like they didn't just see the Teen Titans Judas Contract movie. <laughs> well, well, I'm oh, assuming well. I'm assuming we're going to see Wally return, right, from the last from season two. Don't know. Well, most likely because they have Wally in costume. Well, that that wasn't the, the picture no, of. Yeah, that wasn't Wally West. I mean, Wally West we saw heroically. You know, it looked as if he had passed on into the Speed Force. Oh yeah, and, that's right. That's right. But so I mean, I thought that's honestly because that was kind of sort of a cliffhanger and pretty, you know, pretty adult for a for a uh, for a cartoon. The way he passed on, I think we had always hoped that in season three they would they would he would miraculously return. And we see that in comic books that pretty much the same way. I mean, Flash died in '86. He still came back 20 years later. Anyway, um, Crisis I, on I, Infinite Wally. Yeah. <laughs> so. I got to mention this again. We again we have less than five minutes remaining. I, I happen to check out Taraji P Henson's Proud Mary trailer. Hello, I, don't, I, I don't know what to think about it, but it, it's a bit intriguing because it it reminds me of a well. She's the font on it is definitely meant to be an homage to Pam Greer. Yeah. So, and Pam, Pam Greer even follows our show. I I I I was trying to get her on here. I had a conversation with her publicist. You know, listen. I grew up with Pam Greer. I, I can't even say what I, what she meant. Pam Greer is up there with Linda Carter as far as my development. I'll leave it at that. Anyway, uh, 
Um, to see her channel that uh, in a modern context, maybe a neo black exploitation thing. Do you think that could be what's going on here? Can, can we see that happening? Well, Luke uh, Cage kind of, you know, is it a herald? Yeah, is well, it a herald that? Yeah, well, Black, Black and John are more the action guys than I am. But I will say, we looking for strong black females to take roles, right? And you're seeing what they're doing with Charlize Theron with Atomic Blonde, calling it, oh, finally we have a female bond and all of that. Well, hey, hey Proud Mary, we're getting that black uh, female ass kicker right there. <laughs> that, that's the it, good thing. That's the positive. Biography looks tight. So do you think, do you think it's going to do, have an effect, though? I mean, will I people think, get behind this? I mean, I don't, I don't know where we're at. I mean, see, be careful what you ask for, because normally they, they would put us in a uh, – what's the film that, that's out now that everyone's lauding over with Queen Latifah? Oh, Girls' Night? Oh. Girl's right, Girl, Girls' Night. Girls' Trip. So, Girls' Trip, yeah. So, that's, you know, the rom-com kind of thing is something that's the, the box that, unfortunately, black cinema has been put into for the last couple of years. Now we're seeing the Black Panther. We're seeing, uh, 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 what's the film we just mentioned last week, the Disney film with Oprah Winfrey. Um, Wrinkle in Time. Wrinkle in Time. Right. We're seeing, we're seeing uh, you know, they have to be supported. So I hope that this Proud Mary thing, and, and hey, you know, you see, uh, you hear Tina Turner wailing in the background. I mean, it's an excellent setup to flesh out. You know, if we're going to do a, a black exploitation in 2017, it's got to be on a Luke Cage tip. It can't be like 1974. And I and I love those films, but those films, you know, you have to be honest with what they what they really were about. But. They saved Hollywood also. We know that historically. I just hope that this ushers in maybe neo black exploitation, but are we ready for it? Uh don't know. That's how he comes in. It has I to think. be quality. It, it, I mean, we could get smoking aces, but in the end, that fell apart towards the end of that. But we all loved how Carmen and Alicia Keys came off on that. <laughs> But the problem is, have you seen them have such ass-kicking roles after that? Yeah. Maybe Common on, uh, what was it, Hell on Wheels? Well, yeah, but his, 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 uh, his, that's uh, where Black Bolt came from. Yeah. One last you know, thing. We got, about, we got less than a minute, almost. Uh, Kingsman 2. First of all, I'm going to do Kingsman, Kingsman 2 because I had enough chutzpah to actually have Archer. <laughs> an Archer cartoon two-minute thing that was – I want to see that. I want that done, like, now, an archer Eggsy crossover. But what are your thoughts about Eggs, uh, Kingsman 2? I mean, it's, it's looking like James Bond on steroids. What are your thoughts? <laughs> let's go over the top. Let's, let's just do it. I mean, with bigger explosions, more craziness, what the hell? I, it's one of the few Millar properties that I like. So let's see what happens. I Not much like diversity the in the cast, though. No, there is no color. Aside from, Halle, from Barry, Halle Berry. Aside from Halle, there is no color. But that's really just par for the course for, for for these types of movies for Matthew Vaughn. No disrespect, but that's let's just be real. I will say, though, it makes me laugh. And it's totally gonzo. It is crazy. It is insane. Um. Defies the laws of physics, everything, logic, 
but I like the fact I like the fact that it represents the strongest, most prevalent stereotypes of what it means to be British and what it means to be American. Because the <laughs> Brits are so stiff and uppercut yeah. and very clean and sharp and refined and this and that. And all the Americans are wearing cowboy Cowboys. hats and they've got them lassos and them shotguns and down in the whiskey. And it just makes me laugh because this is way over the top in terms of a generalization. But, but I am looking forward to seeing Pedro Pascal because he is so damn good. I have been watching Narcos. And this is a great actor, Pedro Pascal. He is great, and I can't wait to see him in this movie. Because for me, his star is definitely rising in the way that Oscar Isaac's star was rising a few years ago. And then he blew up, and he was everywhere. He was in Star Wars and, you know, Ex Machina and, you know, this, that, and the other. So definitely, you guys, be paying attention to that dude. He's he's great. He's terrific. All right, folks. The, All right, folks, we'll have to cut it, cut it off, unfortunately, because I don't have my mic, and the way this system works is just going to just cut off. So, it's going to boot all of us. Right. You know, unfor- unfortunately, we have to wrap up the shop. Uh, to, to everyone, really dig it when we get together. When a plan comes together, we'll do it again next week. Uh, hopefully better news. Um, we lament the passing of Ben Affleck in his role as Batman. But, hey, <laughs> they get somebody, somebody else to do that, unfortunately. Uh, next week, folks, going out with... Eric Clapton, Pilgrim, next week. It's been real. Oh, yeah.
Thank you. 